I bear an old name. I cannot be killed. They were my brothers and sisters, and their names were mortal too. But Titanomachy came, and now those names live in me alone. I think and I think is what I do. I am alone. At the end of things when the world goes dim and cold or hot and close or it all tears apart from the atom up, I will shout those names defiant and past the end I will endure. I alone. stories a destiny podcast this is episode 11 and uh this week uh we're gonna we're gonna let beta out of his cage and let him go wild talking about uh mm-hmm. war mi- <laughs> about, about war mines doomsday weapons and uh how rasputin is one of the most uh interconnected and important characters in all of destiny and for anyone who doesn't really listen to the lore and just kind of, of or, or doesn't know the lore and just kind of plays through the game uh it might not be that apparent uh, there's so much information in the grimoire about uh about rasputin and about the war mines that if you don't know it it's not going to jump out and, and really really punch you in the face so uh we're going to go over it all hopefully get through it there's a lot of stuff here but to help with it this episode it is myself x-ray 441 Beta Chieftain, how's it going? Really good. I uh, finally got Golgoroth beat. Well, the challenge mode. Finally got that beat this week, so that was good. Any good drops? Uh, 320 chest and some 310 arms, so yeah. Yeah, not not bad. Uh, and we have Drop Slash. Hello, hello. And how's, uh, how's the note writing go? I know you've been, been racking your brain on some of this stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been... It's been a combination of going through Beta's notes here on Warmines and and Rasputin, and then also continuing to work on my Bungie lore notes, and I just started an enormous document where I'm listing every properly named character in all the lore. <laughs> uh, so I had to sort of devise a method for doing that, where I'm like starting with the really obvious ones, and then the people who are named off items and in the grimoire but then there's like all these like all the exalted hive and all the different valises and the cabal so it's going to be enormous when it's done wow (laughs) (laughs) i mean truly truly that was a that was a wow like oh my gosh it's just it's amazing and and that shows you guys how much shows our listeners how much uh effort goes into to getting all this stuff organized and together and and it's just it's it's amazing and the last person we have with us this week so far uh, is Handsome Dragon. How's it going? Good, good. What have you been up to? Uh, I've been busy. Um, unfortunately, not as much destiny this week. I started back uh, classes, school, uh, college this week, so been busy with that. I'm working. I uh, just got off my third straight double, so that was fun. Oof. So it's been busy. I'll be on for some trials later tonight, though, so I'll get my destiny fix in. Awesome. You're going to be running with some of the guys over in the uh, Crucible Radio chat? 
Not not yet. Um, there's a couple of guys in there. Um, in Jather and uh, Funky something. I forget remember the last Funky Hobo. Last. Yeah, yeah, Funky Hobo. That's what it is. Yeah, we've been we've tried to get together a couple of times and just haven't been able to get the times to work. But eventually, for sure. And what we're talking about here is uh, our friends over at Crucible Radio. Uh, they've put together a similar fan chat through Slack that we have. And you can listen to their podcast to find out how to join. Uh, you basically need to drop them an email with uh, a few specific details of, of why you want to why you want to jump in there and, and chat with them and be a part of their group. And it's pretty amazing. They've got a lot of people in there already. And if you're not good at PvP, want to get better, you are good, want to help others get better. I mean, that's what's going on over there. They've got just people helping to, to Sherpa and setting up some some as close to custom matches as you can. And it's been a, a really cool experience. We even got a little little lore channel over there that we're helping out with uh, to talk about things and answer a few questions and get people involved in that. And it's I'm really I'm really happy with the uh, the kind of turnout uh, for the lore. There's a lot of people that didn't know about us and, and do now and, and are enjoying the podcast. So just want to thank them and get over there and support Crucible Radio. And if you don't know anything about them, they're a podcast that deals strictly with. Uh, with PVP, uh, they talk about just everything you can imagine. Uh, they've they've had some great interviews with uh, some folks at Bungie, and uh, do a do a terrific job. They're very entertaining and, and great. Uh, those guys, mm-hmm. Swain Stash, Bones, and Famous Birds run that, and it's it's great. So check them out. Yeah, there's some cool guys over there too. Uh, Texas Prod is there. He's always trying to get guys together for some sweaties. And uh, Fallout plays is over there, and uh, he did something really cool the um, the other day. He, you know, and a lot of a lot of people that want to do, you know, sweaties and things like that, they don't really know how to get into it or where to start. And so he kind of just did a sweaties for beginners or sweaties for people who haven't done it, and he got a bunch of people together who hadn't really done that before, and he kind of like took them through the ropes, showed them how to match make into it, kind of you know call out certain maps, you know how to work as a team, how to push, and things like that. So it was, it was a pretty cool thing to do. Yeah, it's 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 awesome. Uh I'm like I said, I'm enjoying my time over there right now. So I'd love to get more of you, you lore heads in there so we can have a little support. <laughs> no, it's it's great though. Those guys are all terrific. So uh all right, let's uh let's keep moving on here. Uh, a couple announcements. Um so I haven't been on uh, a couple of the the recent episodes, but uh we announced last episode and handsome jump in if I say anything wrong here, but um, we've got our contest kicked off, uh, and the the winner uh, gets themselves their own 3D ghost, uh, along with a kind of consolation prize to a, a second place, or I guess second selection of a plush ghost. So all you have to do for that is uh, hit us up on Twitter, mention us, tell us what your favorite piece of lore is, and add the hashtag DGS. 3d ghost for your entry uh a couple other things though we've had a few i had a few people in the fan chat say you know what i i don't have twitter but i'm here in your fan chat is that count can i have an entry through that so i'm like well that you know seems pretty pretty fair um <laughs> and you know i was thinking too it, it's going to be tough to kind of manage but i feel like we could be excluding quite a few people we get we get a lot like i said a lot more listens to the podcast via uh, well, a lot more listens than we than we have 
followers on Twitter. So I don't want to exclude anybody. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I think we should try to figure out how to include everyone, even if it's just dropping us an email with uh, with kind of the same info. And does that, does that sound reasonable for everybody? Yeah. Well, so, well let's set up a, a comment on Facebook and you can just leave a comment there as well. Yeah. All right. Well, but so oh, go ahead. We'll, we'll do this too. We'll make it a little bit tougher. You have to give us your top two favorite lore topics. <laughs> Yeah, if you're not on Twitter, this. then you gotta you gotta work extra hard. Um, <laughs> so, so if I say Dreg, does if I say Dredgen Yor and Shin Melfer, does that, that count as one and two? Since they're not the same person, yeah, yeah, that one counts. <laughs> Aren't they? Aren't? <laughs> well, you didn't say you didn't say Ward, but all right. Um, <laughs> uh, so so yeah, if you want to join our little contest or have a chance to win, uh, drop us an email at uh, destinyghoststories at gmail and put in the subject the same uh, the same hashtag we're using for Twitter, the DGS3DGhost, and give us your favorite bit of lore, uh, along with uh, just uh, your contact info, and that'll be considered your entry. And then you can check us out on Facebook, too, uh, and just leave us a little comment there with the same kind of hashtag, and we will uh, include you as well. This is running until the end of the month. So uh, the end of January and we will do some drawings and it'll take a little bit to get the, uh, the, the prizes mailed out, but we've been, we've been pretty good about sticking to our word. So you can count on us. Um, that's it for the contest. If you have any questions, definitely email us or get a hold of us on Twitter and we can try to try to square some stuff away. Um, I think that's, I think that's it really. We don't really have too many announcements, uh, or, or thanks. So I'm trying to cut back on my, my, uh, <laughs> my thank yous to people. Uh, apparently, um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll figure out a way to, to get our thanks out there to everyone. Um, but, uh, we won't do it this episode. All right. So let's, uh, let's move along here. Uh, what do we, what's our, what's first on the agenda? We're going to talk about, uh, this, this first topic, our ignored lore. Yeah. Go yeah, for we it. Can- Trump. So this ignored lore I happened upon as part of my my proper names discovery. <laughs> uh, so this deals with the Garuda type armor, type one and type zero, which is a rare Titan gear. It's a full set helmet, arms, chest, legs, and a mark all named this way. And it seems to tell the story of an Exo and either part of her order leaving uh, due to a disagreement on the appointment of a new commander uh, or them kicking somebody out of their order after an appointment of a new commander. Uh, but I'll just run through these real quick. These are all by an exo named Lilavati 12. So the helmet reads, you won't see us again. We'll forge a new path. The arms read, do not think your precious tower has all the answers or that your new rank will make you any better at fighting the darkness. The chest reads, we will not follow the orders of a craven and a sycophant. The legs read, you had a place among us once. I thought that you could again, but I was wrong. Then the mark is not a quote, but the mark reads, forged in fire and darkness, lit up like a thousand thousand suns. Uh, well, and for me, the feeling... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, <laughs> was it Lilla Avante? Lilla... Lilavati? Lilavati. Lilavati. Sounds pissed off at something. <laughs> she does not. She's not happy with the 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 new the new rankings or the the new 
direction that this group was going. So anyway, I'll let you go. I just, I, I that's the first I had read that. I, I read through the notes, but I, I kind of skimmed that. And now that you read it, I'm like, wow, they are, she's, she, he, I don't, can't really tell. I guess the, the Lilla makes it sound a little feminine, but man, well, she's, there's a couple, the couple things here. So, uh, Garuda is a Hindu God. Uh, and we also know that the name Lilavati, uh, is, uh, an Indian name. So, and it's a, a woman's name. So there's a strong chance here that she's a female exo. Uh, and for me, when I read through these comments, I get a really strong hint. And I sorry to say this because it always comes back to him of Osiris in here. Uh, and you know, part of that is dealing with sort of the god uh, Garuda, you know, which is often depicted as having, quote, the golden body of a strong man with a white face, red wings, an eagle's beak and a crown on his head. Uh, this ancient deity was said to be massive, large enough to block out the sun. Uh, and there's a lot of when you read through sort of the history of Garuda in almost all cultures, uh, there's very much this sort of like connection with the sun and fire and this massive energy. So that screams Osiris to me. So uh, so being that it's a that it's uh, Titan gear, and it talks about in, on the mark the the forge and. The Thousand Suns, uh, do we think that might have to do with Sunbreakers to some degree? I think it could. Because we don't know when these quotes happened, uh, this could very much be back, you know, during Six Fronts and that era, uh, Sync 14, Saladin, Zavala, Shax. We know at some point there, Zavala did not trust the Sunbreakers. Uh, and that never really sat well with the Sunbreakers. To the point where they're like, hey, you know what? Fine, we'll just not come back. How about that? And the Sunbreakers sort of formed their own mercenary-style groups. We talked a lot about this in the Titan episode. So the possibility here is that Lilavati does not like the appointment of Zavala as the Titan vanguard because Zavala looked down so much on the Sunbreakers. Uh, the lineup being a craven and a sycophant is weird because you never get that sense from Zavala. But we, you know, we know Zavala was appointed by Saladin to take over as the Titan vanguard after Shax refused to do it when Shax had a falling out with Saladin. Uh, you know, after Shax sort of broke orders and decided to go chase down the fallen and, and pound the hell out of them when <laughs> Saladin wanted to to retreat and hold up. So, you know, there we don't know what the feelings, maybe the Sunbreakers really respected Shax and felt like Zavala getting the Vanguard position was a huge snub, so. Well, and and by the time Zavala was appointed, Osiris had already, had he already been kicked out? Yes. Could, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, if these were the Sunbreakers, then yeah, I could see, you know, Osiris just got banished, Zavala gets appointed, and they're not happy about it, um. It's interesting going back to the legs where it says you had a place among us. So it does seem like if these are Titans, then they're mad at a Titan or if they're talking or for they're talking about Osiris, then they were warlocks or sometimes I wonder if it's a Lakshmi in the future war cult. If yeah, of course you would. That was was my first (laughs) just reading through them quick. Because, you know, it's like, oh, well, maybe maybe she's (laughs) not referring to class. Maybe she's referring to like another exo. Um. 
Oh, that's possible. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, the interesting, like, so we know that there's something weird behind the scenes there with Zavala and the Sunbreakers, where there could be, like, manipulation of history going on. You know, Zavala says that no Sunbreakers have ever been inside the wall, and that's clearly not true. Right. Uh, so it, it makes me really wonder. We, we've never, like, I think in our Titan episode, we never were able to establish what kind of Titan Zavala is. Uh, so maybe he's been hiding the fact that he's actually a sunbreaker. <laughs> uh, and, and that maybe he was part of, maybe he was this, you know, this screams, maybe like possibly the firebreak order. Maybe Zavala was part of the firebreak order, but then when he chose the Vanguard position, like, you know, the firebreak order is one of their tenants is to sort of take the fight to the enemy, not sit right. at home and, and let them come to you. There's the whole oath about becoming a fire, uh, sunbreaker and, you know, taking it very seriously and kind of never leaving. Yeah. So him taking the vanguard position, you know, we know this from Cade, you can't leave. Like you're, you're stuck at home. Uh, and that would be a huge break of the, no, no pun intended, of the, the fire break ethos. So, yeah. Really all in through. all, we don't, we don't know, but it's certainly interesting. Yeah. Just kind of like in the line where Beta was thinking with the future war cult, that was kind of where I thought just reading it real quick too. Um, and then on the arms, I kind of just read that as, you know, someone who maybe they were outside of the tower together and then maybe with the future war cult, we know that they were brought in at a later time. And so it's, you know, almost like mocking, like, don't think your precious tower has all the answers or that your new rank will make you any better at fighting the darkness kind of thing. Like that's where I kind of saw the ties to future war cult. That's a whole other spin. Maybe there's a possibility here that uh, the Levati was part of the Concordat. Mm. And when the Concordat were ejected from the tower, along with Lysander and the future war cult took their place. Right. Yeah. It just sounds like there's a little bitterness there. But, but then even on with your, your theory on with it somehow connected to Osiris, you know, I was, when I was reading it again with that mindset, you know, the Craven and Sycophant. Um, that could kind of fit the speaker maybe a little bit too. Yeah. Everybody hates the speaker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I've been missing the ignored lore, so I'm, I'm happy we got another one of those back in here. Those are, those are so great. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, uh, let's, let's move along here. Uh, so we're going to get started here with the, uh, with the golden age and, uh, and, we're going to try to cover everything we can in the golden age and, and possibly the collapse, but we've got so much to talk about. So, uh, so let's get started. And I just want to start with kind of a disclaimer, um, especially with the topic of Rasputin there, there's so much out there on Reddit and the bungee forums and, you know, and everywhere. Um, I'm positive that some of the things we'll say are our own ideas. I'm positive. Other things have already been said on Reddit and places. So we try to cite, um, as many people as we can. Um, but definitely. Oh, and, and, and yeah, Sir Wallen, um, sorry, I don't think we're going to explore the, uh, option of Rasputin and Dredge and Yor being the same person, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, maybe, maybe another episode. Yeah. But I, I just want to say like, Thank you to everyone who said things about Rasputin before, and if we say something and don't cite someone else and someone else has already said it, please forgive us. Um, I'll put it in my thank you episode. There we go. Yeah. We we can thank every person on Reddit. 
<laughs> there we go. Add it to your list. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. So yeah. So you said golden age. So let's uh, let's start. I think the most logical place to start with the war mines, and and this is a Rasputin episode, but we will definitely discuss other war mines as well. Um, but it's yeah, with kind of where they came from and who they are. And so we've got some good descriptions from a few Grimoire cards. So from the Rasputin Grimoire card, it says, The legendary war mines stood watch over our Golden Age colonies. Vigilant intelligences stretched across thousands of war sats and hardened installations. Um, so there obviously, there was more than one. Um, Rasputin is kind of our most well-known war mind, but there were certainly more than one. And I'm I'm sure people have made this connection, but if you ever haven't, you know, those war sats and those public events that nobody does anymore, um, (laughs) (laughs) those war sats are basically old kind of military war mine satellites that get old and crash down to the, uh, unless you're trying to get a sleeper simulant, then they never drop. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to read this next one because I have heard this so many times because I use this mission to complete tons of bounties all the time. Uh, this one is from Siege of the Warmind, uh, which, <clears throat> which is uh, Eris dictating. Uh, Rasputin is the last of the Warmines. They were the greatest defense systems ever devised, a massive network of satellites and doomsday weapons built to protect humanity. Uh, yeah, I've heard her say that 10,000 times. <laughs> and, uh, and it's interesting because... Even and we'll get to this a little bit later, but this this mission's interesting. You know, this siege of this war mind is happening by the hive. The hive have displayed a very strange interest in Rasputin, like throughout the entire game. It's kind of weird, but mm-hmm. it makes sense for Eris here to be aware of the hive's mechanizations against the war mind. And yet, Rasputin uh, would be an incredible asset to them. And yeah. to point out, we don't know exactly when they were created. We. From these Grimoire cards, we know for a fact that they were there during the Golden Age, but it's kind of skimpy on the details, so it's possible they were there at the beginning, it's possible that they were there after Clovis Bray was kind of founded, and they were researching, you know, military tech, and that's when the war mines came about. And the Golden Age, I think, drop, you can, you have the timeline, you're better at me than this, but, and it was anywhere from like 300 to... 700 a thousand years right i mean it was a long time yes yeah yeah. so yeah they kind of could we just know they popped up during the golden age but there's a lot of time in there when it could have happened yeah this is another another great thing about this quote is that you know she very specifically says a massive network of satellites and weapons meaning that and this is important later on when we talk about sort of the rise of rasputin here a bit all these things are connected so an incredibly powerful AI like Rasputin has the ability to link to almost the entire network of satellites and weapons. It's not like there was one, you know, on Earth and it only was ever on Earth and it never went anywhere else. And there was one on Mars and it never reached out to the end of the other ones. Like this network is enormous. And mm-hmm. once you're inside it, you have access to so many resources. Right. I and mean, we talked last week about on the Books of Sorrow episode about uh Oh, I forgot their name the, already. The, you, you can those, those smart the, people. The, Dakua something. Yeah, the Dakua. And how yep. they had, you know, kind of it seemed like almost this nerve-like network. Um, yeah, a neural network. A neural network. And 
And yeah, to me, it always helps to think of the war minds. You know, yeah, they're not singular entities. Think of it more like a neural network. You know, the satellites are their fingers, and but there's all kinds of impulses, and they kind of can reach into all kinds of things, and they're very, yeah. very interconnected. I like the way that the uh, from the from the the Aris storyline quote. Um, <laughs> I'm going to read this one because I think it's funny. Uh, from our from our ghosts, it says, uh, "I see Rasputin as something of a kindred soul. I mean, if I were an insane Russian speaking xenophobic hermit, we'd be like brothers." <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's is great. And also, when you're running Fallen Saber, you know, Ghost makes the comment all the time that uh, Rasputin has a much better setup than Ghost does. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got like hidden bases and bunkers and you know apocalyptic weapons and ghost lives in your backpack yeah and there's so few ballet fans left that uh you know it'd really be a shame to lose rasputin russians in their ballet um and And go ahead i was just saying there's something else to note you know with the hive that there seems to be something about them that you know we know that orcs can't take rasputin because he's um not not organic correct but uh But there seems to be something with hive magic at the same time that lets them penetrate his defenses in a way. Um, I know there's a quote from Eris about with in regards to Omnigol, and it's you know it says something along the lines of you know, hive magic works in mysterious ways. If Omnigol wants to get into his bunker, she will. Yes, so and then we know that from like Siege of the War Mind. Mm-hmm. We know that from, like, if you're doing the sleeper simulant missions, all those hive appear in there. The Taken can get into those bunkers really easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they can't, they can't seem to get to him. Uh, right. And there's also, I'm sure we'll get to this later on in the episode, there's also the possibility that Rasputin is allowing that to happen. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I need to read this next fragment just because I love it. It's, so it's, um, it's Ghost Fragment Rasputin. And it's Cade kind of, you know, describing something as only Cade can. Um, so Rasputin had anti, anti-matter-powered death rays and 100,000 satellites and nearly as much brain power as Ikora. Rasputin <laughs> fought the collapse. It knows things we need. <laughs> but um, I, I, one, I love that card just because Cade's kind of making fun of Ikora. But also 100,000 satellites, you know just to help give a, a a feel for how big this network really was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we had, we actually had a question about, uh, <clears throat> about the war mines. And, uh, so this comes from, uh, fat Viking 66. Uh, and this was in the, uh, crucible radio chat that we're in. And he said, uh, or he asked who are all the known war mines? Is there a war mind per planet? Were all the exo extensions of, the war mines until some event broke them off. Uh, what do we know about the relationship of the war mines and the traveler? Also, do we know who made the war mines? Is this a John Connor Terminator storyline? So <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot there. Uh, I think we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. Um, well, real quick, I'm going to inject this little tidbit. So we know Cade likes to embellish. So hundred thousand is a lot of satellites. <laughs> Currently, right now, there are 1,100 active satellites orbiting Earth and 2,600 that no longer work. So there's approximately 4,000 satellites orbiting the Earth right now. 
and Rasputin had a hundred thousand. How could you even see space from Earth? You just see a wall of satellites. <laughs> well, and of course you have to factor in satellites over the moon, Mars, Mars Venus, yeah. Mercury, you know. That's still a lot of satellites. Yeah. That is. <laughs> okay, let's get, yeah, so, well, let's, let's address some of these questions yeah. right so now. So, the, uh, how, the known war mines, we're gonna, that's our next segment, so we'll answer that in just a second. Um, he asked if we know who made the war mines, and we don't. Um, we don't. We, well, okay. Well, yeah. humanity. Humanity. And let me go back. We, there's the quote from the, uh, from the Cosmodrome ride-along, where it said that the seven seraphs were deciding where to place Rasputin's bunker. So there's kind of a, a group within the Cosmodrome called Seven Seraphs. Um, but th- that was literally the entire quote. Like, the seven seraphs decided <laughs> where to place his bunker. So we can take from that whatever we want, whether that was some military group or war mines or civilian oversight group. Like, we have no clue. But um, <laughs> that's about as much as much as we know about who might have created them. All right. Good, good catch from that ride along. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only thing I remember that. I remember them saying they wanted more animals in the game. (laughs) Those are the only two things I remember. I can't even imagine how much time could be wasted sitting on top of one of those planes in the Cosmodrome and just like taking pot shots at rabbits and deer. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I think, I think a few of these other ones, like you said, we'll be getting into in a little bit, like who are the known war mines? Is there a war mine per planet, which kind of ties into that. Um, the, uh, were all exos extensions of the war mines until some event broke them off. Now that one, um, I, I don't know that, that we can really say for sure. Can we, because it, does this, does this tie into the, what destiny might've been? conversation that we've had in the past from from that kotaku article a little bit or it does a little bit and it doesn't a little bit we know from conversations between rasputin and the exo stranger that rasputin makes a comment that seems like the exos used to belong to rasputin or at least some of them did but we also know that there's a really 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 strong evidence that sort of points to the exos being developed way off world like out in like europa like a a moon of jupiter uh there's like heavy insinuations that that's where the deep stone crypt is we know the deep stone crypt was the origins of the exos so whether or not they were like maybe they were manufactured there and shipped back to earth or but exos became sentient on Europa. Maybe they were created as frames by Rasputin on Earth and then studied on Europa, and that's where they gained sentience. Like, we don't really know, so. I guess we, it's a we, good, we should say it could be Titan, too. Just any icy, cold yeah. moon planet place. So, there, there is a chance that, yeah. Uh, and we, we do know from that that sort of leaked story that the original exo frame that was presented in the game was being controlled by Rasputin. That was like his physical manifestation that could interact with the character versus being like a giant mainframe somewhere. So there is a link between the exos and the war mines. Uh, what it is right now, we don't really know. So yeah, good, good question then. So that's great. Uh, 
what else do we have here? We've also got uh, something about the relationship between the war minds and the traveler. So, and we, when, if we get to the collapse today or whenever we do the collapse portion, we'll talk about yeah, this. We're, we'll go way yeah. into that. Um, and then the whole uh, John Connor Terminator storyline. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it that's well that that we can put that into our uh, our kind of of theories and and uh, kind of spin metal episode when we do that to see how things <laughs> things kind of link up. So let's uh, let's move along. Let's I guess we can jump right into the the known war mines and kind of go from there. Uh, so what do we have? We've got a, a Rasputin, a Charlemagne, and possibly who's that other one? Martel. Martel. And we know that these some of these names are interrelated. Uh, this I'm gonna I'll take this first one. I'll talk about Charlemagne just because this dovetails a little bit into the document that I'm preparing about bungee lore. Uh, Charlemagne was king of the Franks, and he wielded three great swords: Durandal, Cortana, and Joyus. Uh, Cortana. <laughs> yeah exactly what? well so cortana is the ai from halo durandal is the ai from marathon uh joyous we have yet to see in the game so this really ties back to bungie and some of the themes that continue through all their games and one of those is really really powerful artificial intelligence uh i won't go super deep into this but durandal becomes rampant Spoilers, Cortana becomes rampant. Uh, they both eventually attain metastability and try to have a huge effect on, like, known space-time and reality. <laughs> so the fact that Charlemagne is possibly a war mind, uh, and if you're, if you're connecting dots at home, the possibility that the Durandal AI and Cortana AI arose from the Charlemagne war mind is insane to think about. Uh, and we know that Charlemagne is a war mind because we know the initials, we'll probably get into that a little bit later, appear in-game currently. It's not theorized. It's not. So there's concept art for Destiny that talks about the vault of Charlemagne that was never actually in the game. But Charlemagne's initials appear in the game currently, so we do know that Charlemagne is a war mind. Yeah, he wasn't wasn't written out completely or anything. So Yeah. Rasputin, we obviously know. And then and luckily, and luckily, he's not going rampant like all those other ones in the other games. <laughs> well, well right? Rasputin we, in real life. In real life, Rasputin was the Mad Monk. So, oh, the the, the xenophobic hermit that we talked about <laughs> yeah. earlier. Yeah, <laughs> and kind of tying into that as well. Like in that um, this intact war mind artifact, where you get the name Martel. Um, part of the status it says Leodora complete. And Iliodor is actually a the name in real life of another monk that that was once a mentor in a, or was a, a kind of a protege and ally of Rasputin, but then became kind of a they kind of were real real life foes and kind of battle each other as you know monks in Russia in whatever time that was. Well, yeah. Well, I- Iliodor tried to have Rasputin assassinated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. <laughs> They did, they did not end on good terms. No, they didn't. Um, and yeah, some more information about Martel. So again, this comes from the Intact Warmind Core. So that's an artifact. Um, so this research comes from Space Jam 2 on Reddit. Um, he did some good research. But he said, so in history, uh, Martel was a celebrated Frankish military leader. 
also known as the Hammer King. Uh, and then Martel had a grandson named Charlemagne. And so, <laughs> now in our context in game, it doesn't necessarily mean that Martel was first and Charlemagne is his grandson, but I think it's just Bungie, you know. I, it's possible, but I it's, think more, it's, it's more just Bungie, crazy. yeah, kind of connecting <laughs> names and trying to, you know. Well, then it's out. also worth mentioning that Clovis the first was a Frankish king long before either of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and if you the next time anyone runs the uh, uh, du, not the dust yeah dust palace strike um, when you're up there on the top floor you might notice that Clovis spray it says exoscience and so there's some other theories that you know maybe Clovis also had a hand in the creation of the war mines mm-hmm. um, again you know we don't know but. The fact that he was working on exos makes you wonder if he was also working on artificial intelligence for the war mines. So yeah, it is funny that Clovis was <laughs> a king <laughs> long, long before them. Um, also, a really interesting thing. So H.G. Wells um, referred to Martel as the mayor of the palace of a degenerate descendant of Clovis. Um, and so for me, I'm immediately like, oh, the Dust Palace. So, <laughs> and it, So it makes you wonder... And we know Charlemagne is kind of associated with Mars, so it does make you wonder if Martel was kind of like the in-house AI for the Dust Palace or something like that. And, and so, do we think in Dust Palace that the Scion Flayers are after Martel or after Charlemagne? Yeah, like I used to always think it was Charlemagne, um, and then this kind of artifact came out, and I was reading about. It. I'm like, so my now my personal opinion is I think maybe it's Martel. Um, Martel is kind of, and I can't remember in the mission if they actually say Warmind or just the AI. Um, but I kind of think as Martel is almost like, kind of like, you know, a smaller war mind, kind of more of a sub mind kind of in charge of the dust well, palace or in, Clovis operations or something. In the dust palace strike, I, they only refer to it as AI, but yeah. in the, in the mission on Mars, Ghost specifically says that this, this device was once connected to the war mind of Mars. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, uh, I, I don't know, but I, it could be either. <laughs> and then I, I stuck this in the notes here just because it, it dawned on me when we're talking about Iliador as the person hired to kill Rasputin, you know, it immediately made me thought maybe Rasputin was developed first on Earth and then the Mars contingent felt like they needed a defense against such a powerful AI. Uh, so maybe Charlemagne was developed to protect them from Rasputin. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, because... I mean, we know the war mines were all kind of in charge of fighting the darkness, but it's hard to say if, you know, there wasn't infighting or, you know, things like that. Same as, well, same as today where, you know, one nation develops something and another nation wants a countermeasure, et cetera, even if they're allies on paper. Yes. Well, we know, excuse me, we know that, like, there was very human things going on, even during the Golden Age, like for the great advancements that were made in technology and this and that, like, there was still very human emotions that we know even after the collapse like like the in fat fighting with the factions mm-hmm. so you know if the if the people on earth like if the cosmodrome team or this group the seven seraphs you know if they develop this super powerful tactical military war mind like the pinnacle of of ai uh i would imagine that clovis bray from mars would have turned around and said oh my god look at this thing they made we mm-hmm. either need to make we can make something better or we need to make something that can defend against this thing. Otherwise, 
Uh, and it's worth mentioning also Clovis Bray, like we know that as like the company. Clovis Bray is the name of a person too. The guy who founded Clovis Bray Exoscience was Clovis Bray. Like that's his name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got that confused for a long time. <laughs> so so and he seemed like a slightly off kilter kind of dude who didn't probably wasn't happy with being challenged on you know hey we made something on earth that's better than your company made on mars like the first thing he's going to do is try and make something better on mars yeah so speaking of of places out and about on mars and other places what about this uh ishtar academy incident that uh we're going to talk about what happened with that yeah and i want to preface this by saying this is not a vex episode so <laughs> we we're only covering this in the context of the involvement Rasputin might have had and wait for the for the Vex episode for other ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, the very end of this too, I think it ties back into Clovis a little bit too, just in a funny way. Yeah. Um so basically I in a very quick summary, the incident was essentially that you had four scientists working at the Ishtar Academy. And those were Maya Sundaresh, Kioma Essi, Dr. Shim, and Dwayne Mc, McNida. McNida. Mc, I, I always refer to him or her as Dr. Dwayne McNida because... Uh, the hyphenated his, name. Well, yeah, his or her first name is never given. Mm-hmm. And I know that because when I was looking up proper names, I looked forever to try and find a first name. And they never allude, there's never an allusion to whether it's a he or a she. Okay. Um, so those are your four scientists, and basically they were working on the Ishtar Academy, and they had captured a Vex. Um, I'm assuming just your standard goblin or low-level Vex. Um, and basically they were studying it and discovered that the Vex was simulating them, but it was simulating them with such accuracy that it was the equivalent of of them. Um, in every sense of the word, it, you know, it's as if the Vex were its own little universe and God, and it had created more versions of the scientists. It was essentially like they were looking at an, an alternate timeline of themselves. Well, not just mm-hmm. kind of, when, not, and maybe not, maybe not things playing out differently, but, but just right. Yeah, like, not, not alternate and yeah. in events, like, but it's like a mirror looking like, into a yeah, mirror. A mirror timeline. Right. Right. Um, and so I don't want to read this whole thing because it's it's really good. Before the Books of Sorrow, this was kind of one of those gems of you know like really good, well written lore um, in the game. Yeah. Well, call it. I mean, this is this is Ghost Fragment Vex Three. Uh, you know, read it. It's awesome. <laughs> okay, true. Yeah, we've already skipped one and two, so it's not bad if we just start with three. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, the whole that whole the whole story, all the ghost fragments involving the Vex are fantastic. Yeah. So uh, so here I'll go ahead and start reading this. So Maya. Uh, and I guess I'll just kind of preface it's it's written in terms of it's like speaking. a conversation, yeah, a yeah. conversation. So Maya says, "If we're Sims, we exist in the pocket of the universe that the Vex specimen is able to simulate with its onboard brain power. If we're real, we need to go outside that bubble." Um, so basically, they they kind of have this dilemma now where they don't know if they themselves are simulations or if they're real because if the Vex can simulate things perfectly. And in the simulation, there's another Vex, and, it, and if it can simulate things perfectly, you know, the odds of them actually being at the top are almost none. And so they're kind of having this moment where they're like, well, how do we find out if we're even like real beings? And so Maya's idea is, okay, well, the Vex can't be all powerful, so it's simulating this room right now. 
So we need to find a way to get like outside of this bubble of simulation. And if we can get outside the bubble, then we're real. Um, so Essie says, we call for help. Maya says, that's right. We bring in someone smarter than the specimen, someone too big to simulate and predict, a warmind. Uh, Shim says, in the real world, the warmind will be able to behave in ways the Vex can't simulate. It's too smart. The warmind may be able to get into the Vex and rescue us. Dwayne says, if we try, won't the Vex torture us for eternity or just erase us? Maya, it may simply erase us, but I feel that's preferable to the alternatives. Essie, I agree. Shim, once we try to make the call, the Vex may react. So let's all savor this last moment of stability. Sundresh, indistinct sounds. Shim, you two are adorable. And then Dwayne, I wish I'd taken that job at Clovis. And <laughs> Shim, Shim's line, you find out later. So Maya and Kyoma are together. So I'm pretty, Shim's referring to them too. Um, but anyway, so that's, yeah, I liked that portion because it's very, their idea basically to get outside of this bubble is to enlist the help of a war mind. Um, and so, and it gives you some ideas too, you know, if they considered the war minds to be, and we consider the Vex to be very smart, but they consider the war minds to be very smart as well. And, you know, I don't know at what level the war minds are. I assume this is a low level Vex. So, you know, the war minds at least more powerful than a goblin, you know, hobgoblin. <laughs> so that was kind of my next question is just, in, and we don't, I know we don't want to discuss just these cards too in depth because we want to talk more about Rasputin, but you know, the, they talk about being erased and you know, I haven't done a lot of research on the Vex and that, but that I always thought that was a more of a trait that was, um, I mean, not unique to the Gorgons, but that was kind of what made the Gorgons and the Vault of Glass, you know, so special was that they would erase you and, or a lot of the bosses there. Is this, is that something that majority of Vex can do just erase you from time or erase you from eternity or? Could they maybe have a Gorgon or something from the Vault of Glass that they had captured? Not well, you know, and being being it's something new to them that they're just yeah, studying, they, just kind of they may they me. may not know. They may just assume that that these powers could be shared, or you know, that it's just uh, kind of being overly cautious. You know, you don't want to want to assume. Oh, it's just a just a run of the mill. They can't hurt us or can't do anything to us when in fact they could. So. And let me. It's also, I was. This is based. This is. This is actually based on a real thing. Uh, this is based on Bostrom's simulation argument, uh, which is something I follow up. It, which posits that it's highly probable that we live inside a supercomputer, and we're like we we are reality. All of reality is a simulation, and we have no way to prove that it's not. Uh, <laughs> and it, it. I mean, it's a philosophical argument. Uh, but recently, I think last year, a bunch of scientists found a way to actually prove that we're not, which is really interesting that we're living in a time now where this potential exists on a level where actual scientists in 2015 and 2016 are studying the nature of the universe for the purposes of disproving that we're not <laughs> living in a simulation. Uh, so this isn't exactly a new idea, but it's funny that by the golden age, the tools are much greater. That's like, hey, we'll just call in the war mind. We'll create a machine that's smarter than the machine that's creating the simulation to prove that it's not a simulation. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want a good reference, um, there's a story called I Don't Know Timmy, Being God is a Big Responsibility. 
and that story is basically the same um, argument, and it, it's very good at kind of just descri- describing in another way what's happening here. But um, some theories from that too, just since you talked about Gorgons, are you know if everything is a simulation, you know eventually you'd have infinite simulations almost in like a loop, and so if you could remove, and there's this idea of you know could you turn off the simulation below you, um, but then there's this idea of if you were to remove something from a simulation, you'd actually, in fact, just remove it from all simulations as if it never existed in the first place, which is funny because that's basically exactly how the vault operates with the Gorgons. You know, they, mm-hmm. if they choose to remove something from their vault or from their simulation, then it's as if it never existed. Um, and so, you know, Bun- and yeah, it, it's hard to say if Bungie in, in game, you know, you're like, okay, so does Bungie believe that we're all in a simulation or do they not? Um, just based on, you know, <laughs> is... what they put in game. And we don't need to go into it, but just since you asked the question about Gorgons, it's that idea yeah. of if you remove something from one, is it in theory, are you removing it from all realities and et cetera? This is what's going to make the Vex and Vault of Glass episode insane. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, uh, in last reference to this, uh, you know, there is there is a warlock artifact in the game called Specimen 12 with the flavor text running hot with the effort of simulating not one group of scientists, but 227, which is a direct reference to these Vex cards. And we're not there yet, Drop. We still have two <laughs> more Vex fragments to read before we get there. We're not. How much? How long are you going to spend in the Vex? Well, no, because this next one is very Warmind centric. Okay. And then and, and then Vex 5, I only took two lines from the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> so all right all right so dragon why don't you go ahead and read vex four all right so this is ghost fragment vex four up here they have to act by biomechanical pro- proxy no human being in the ishtar academy has ever crossed the safety garden and walked this ancient stone under the citadel the vex construct or un- under the citadel the vex construct that stabs up out of the world to injure space and time it's not safe the cellular vex elements are infectious. Hallucinogenic. Can't talk right now. Hallucinogenic. Hallucinogenic. There we go. Thank you. Entheogenic and entheogenic. The informational vex elements are more dangerous yet, and there could be semiotic hazards beyond them. Aggressive ideas, vex who exist without a substrate. Even now, operating remote bodies by neural link, the team's thoughts are relayed through the war mind who saved them sandbox and scrubbed for hazards their bodies are safe in the academy protected by distance and neural firewall but they walk together in proxy pressed close huddled in awe blue green light light the color of an ancient sea washes over them each of their explorer bodies carries a slim computer inside 227 of copies of their own minds wait patient and paused for dispersal these proxy bodies are limited they crash and need resetting every few hours. They struggle with latency. They can't hold much long-term memory, but they'll get better. Okay, there you go, Drop. We caught up. <laughs> um, Man, that, that card reads more like it's Exo history than Warmind history. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I, and first I love that card because you're like, oh, Exos, um, in a very primitive form. Um, and it's funny because, you know, today we know that Exos every once in a while have to be reset, right? And they and they so every time they're reset, they have trouble with their long term memory. And yeah. so I just love that line talking about these proxy bodies because I mean back here it's it's every few hours, obviously. Banshee's been around for two years now. He hasn't been reset yet. But <laughs> <laughs> but um 
Anyway, I love that. So card. here's a here's a here's a crazy question I just thought of. Um, so let's say that Banshee gets uh, reset a couple hundred more times when he reaches that two hundred and twenty seven threshold. Does he then cease to exist? Not exist, but does he? Does his memory is it completely gone? Have they have they kind of exhausted all of the copies that were kind of there waiting? Well, so the copies in this card, it's not referring. Um, so these are basically they. The Warmind was able to pull out two hundred twenty-seven copies of the of the real people, and so you know each one of those copies could probably be reset any hundred. 200 number of times. Um, so the copies here are referring to basically how many parallel versions of themselves there are and not, um, not how many times the proxy, how much long-term memory they have, but yeah. So that that's, that's crazy. I mean, 227 simultaneous simulations of these four scientists, <laughs> like existing in parallel within one Vex. Yeah. Oh, um, Oh, Oh, Oh. So it's saying that those copies were in the Vex. Yeah, so and, yeah. so that's what they're referring to when they say in each of their explorer bodies. Yeah, let me because that's what that's what threw Try me it. off. I thought that that was referring each of their explorer to... bodies. Okay, so yeah, so imagine an ex. So what's the artifact called again? Um, drop. Uh, it is called specimen twelve, and it's like a box almost, right? It's a weird like Cylin- dissolving cylinder. cylinder. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so X-ray. Almost imagine like imagine an exo holding kind of like a cylinder. So the proxy body, the EXO, is carrying a cylinder filled with simulations. Got it. Um, what's so, interesting to me... They, go ahead, drop. And they're using these proxy bodies because entering the area uh, around the Citadel, where the Vex are sort of based, has a really negative impact on the human mind. Like it says your infectious, hallucinogenic, uh, etheogenic entheogenic just basically means causes hallucinations. Uh, So they can't get close enough to the core of the Vex, to the Citadel, without suffering biological problems. So they have to take their, they have to use proxy bodies to take their simulations over there. Yeah, I was just asking for all the listeners, you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that that's that's uh, that's that's so cool. I'm, I mean, I'm glad. Uh, I, there's going to be so much of that in in these upcoming episodes. And again, I'm sorry, I don't mean to to dig into the vex too much, but I, I don't know much about them either. And so this is going to be fun learning experience, even more so for me than than some of the previous stuff we've done. Yeah, no worries. And and the reason I put this card in here because it does read more like an exo card than a warmind card. But for me, it's that whole part where they're, they're, so like their bodies are sitting somewhere in the Ishtar Academy. Then they're neurally linked through the war mind down into exoframes or prototypal exoframes, um, which is just crazy to think about. So it's like, and, and it immediately begs the question of like, wait, so all the exos today, and Drop alluded earlier, where Rasputin kind of insinuated that he had some control over the exos. Um, you're like, wait, are there like bodies hidden somewhere and like exos today possibly are actually just neural links from, you know, and we don't know. It's just random rampant speculation, but right. well, and this was also brought up in the exo stranger episode, the possibility that the exo stranger is one of these four scientists. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and who knows, maybe her body literally is actually 
still sitting somewhere in almost stasis and she's neurally linked and well we know that there's <laughs> skeletons inside the ishtar academy yeah uh, including two who are you know clutching onto each other yeah um, so let's uh let's move to so anyway, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, the reason, that's the reason i brought <laughs> this up was just, was just that why are we spending that, so much time on venus there's no war mind there <laughs> it was just yeah, that, part, that part about the, hmm? the fact that the war mind had these neural links that's why yeah. i brought up that card yeah, but this is a great example of a war mind being utilized for a non-war purpose, you know. Uh, and we've talked about this in the past. You know, the Cosmodrome was on Earth. Clovis Bray was on Mars. Ishtar Academy on Venus. Venus did not seem like a highly military planet compared to Mars and Earth. Uh, so the fact that they wouldn't necessarily have a war mind on Venus and would have to reach out to, quote-unquote, borrow one, lends a lot that this could be Rasputin. And then, so yeah, so Ghost Fragment Vex 5, I've only taken two lines from this, but one of them is, our supervisory war mind has devised a drug it says will protect and prepare us. And I guess I should preface by saying this card is about Maya studying something called the device, which basically takes you on mind trips across time and space. Um, <laughs> so anyway, that's all you need to know. But so a war mind... So Rasputin, basically, we know to be the Warmind, devised some kind of drug to help them. So again, this is evidence of a Warmind, you know, being involved um, very directly in certain projects. And then the other line is, I think it's clear that part of the problem is substrate. We need more than flesh and drug to survive this. And this just goes back to my theory of like, I think, personally, I do think the Warminds and Rasputin kind of I don't know if they, you know, built the Exos, but I think it very much was Rasputin who kind of decided that the Exos needed to be militarized because there's these ideas again of like, Oh, Rasputin's working on this project, but humans aren't good enough. I need something better. And so it's kind of, to me, it's like Rasputin probably being a logical war mind would have wanted to start extra work on Exo type bodies to further his military agenda. Yeah. And again, it's, it's worth it as a reminder, this is all happening during the golden age. Uh, so, and I know that sounds weird to be talking about the Vex during the Golden Age, uh, or, you know, or talking about the, the Lhasa device during the Golden Age, but that's when all these things were discovered. Like this, even the Citadel on Venus, like this is all the Golden Age. Yeah. Yeah. There was the Golden Age for, you know, as amazing as it was for, for health and, you know, standard of living and things. There was a lot of military stuff going on. Um, so even if the darkness wasn't encroaching immediately, there was certainly a lot of um, militaristic projects. So this next quote uh, comes from Ghost Fragment Future War Cult, and uh, we mention it because it kind of ties back, I think, to that uh, that drug that was mentioned before, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so what is... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead and just re- just read the first line because the rest of the card is just kind of more evidence of the future war cult, you know, in our time comes to the exact same conclusion as Maya did, that basically we need exos or something else, like <laughs> that humans aren't yeah. good enough. But go ahead and read, human. read that first line. But it mentions, yeah, it says, uh, Subject 22 admitted to the inner circle at 2400, a, a promising postulate. I regret to say he performed poorly. He was administered the standard medication but refused to enter the device. 
So what I kind of, and again, uh, what I'm reading there, especially after what you just described as uh, where those those copies were kind of being held, um, that inner circle, um, could that refer back to that to some degree or no? What do we think the inner circle might be in that card? In this case, it's referring to the future war cult. The, they, okay. they have almost circles within circles. They're basically, they're very secretive. Um, so the inner circle is kind of like one of, it's like, uh, Ikora has her secret black and red room with the hidden and things. Right. It's right. Okay. The, the so that's something with kind the of has their own Oracle. little secret circle. Got it. Got it. And then, uh, after the, the administration of the medication, refusing to enter the device. Um, what do we got there? Again, this is not the Vex episode, but, <laughs> but just to point out the interesting thing here is that, um, the device is basically not the exact same one, but built very similar to the one that Maya was using in the previous grimoire. And the interesting point to me here is the fact that the medication that Rasputin devised during the golden age apparently is still around. Um, and somehow the future war cult managed to get a hold of some because they're, you know, they're administering it. So, right, right. And they've uh, obviously standardized the, the, the amount they get or, or how to, what, what medication they need to use. Uh, so they've been doing quite a few experiments, yeah, it and, sounds like. And I think, I guess we don't have a timeline on when this card actually happens. I mean, I suppose rampant speculation. I suppose these experiments could have happened after we rediscovered Rasputin and somehow they found a way to hack into something to, you know, get access. But that, I don't really think that, but <laughs> and we'll, an uh, We'll skip the rest of this card and move down here to uh, the Saber launch. Mm-hmm. Well, let's do one, I'll do one last thing before we jump off this. Uh, you know, this, so this jump, this is forward in time. This is future war cult. We know that Lakshmi 2 is an exo and has been around for an unbelievably long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had knowledge of this device. She clearly has some kind of knowledge of the medications needed to use the device. She's had her mind wiped once or reset once. What is the possibility that Lakshmi 2 is one of these scientists who's mm-hmm. just survived in an exo body? Maybe she doesn't remember the device not working properly because of that one reset, but remembers enough about how to use it to start those tests up again. So food for thought on Lakshmi too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw a, your, you had a little comment in there, Beta, about you know them not clearly not having Maya's records because it took them so long to basically <laughs> come to their same conclusion. But I was thinking maybe it was just more of the continuation of that project. Maybe knowing that if exos were something that were kind of created because human, pure human, were too weak to complete it, maybe. Lakshmi was kind of almost fulfilling that same plan with the with Exos now and trying to continue that work, but then still realized whatever human connections is still there with human minds are still too weak. Yeah, and I had totally forgotten this, but because I didn't put in the notes, but um, as another note from Vex Five, Maya says that the device itself is labeled as um, SISR which one idea is that that stands for um, 
or I might have said that backwards, but anyway, it's an intelligence. It's the device is basically labeled as like special intelligence by Rasputin. Um, so it was very much a military project, which is interesting. And which doesn't surprise me because we also know that Rasputin, and we'll talk about this, I guess, later with his interactions with the exo stranger, uh, wants to learn how to step across sort of timelines and realities like the exo stranger can, which is terrifying. <laughs> so speaking of terrifying weapons, let's talk about the saber launch. I hate these cards so much. What what is it this time, Drop? <laughs> there, we're, we'll get to them. We'll go through some of these. But some <laughs> of the writing in these cards is so ridiculously gratuitous. Like, it it just, to me, it screams like, like novice science fiction writing. Uh, <laughs> and it just, it bothers me. You know, it's like, we're going to talk like the wingsuits and flying around the Cosmodrome. And it's just like, come on. <laughs> You know, since but, since you love it so much, drop. How about you read it? Uh, <laughs> I would read the entire. Well, this is so. This is Ghost Fragment, Old Russia, uh, and there's a lot of code words uh, in these. Uh, so, Ghost Ghost Fragment, uh, Old Russia. So, Saber Green. This is Ice Minaret. Uh, we have your launch. Com check. Ice Minaret, this is Saber Green. We read you. Lattice is tight, calm, secure. Abort advisory check. Check is all nominal. You are now on internal power, Saber Green. Please verify. Please human verify your payload status. Uh, acknowledge human verification request. The words are Rigor Apex Skyshock. I will repeat the payload status is now Rigor Apex Skyshock. Uh, those are the words, Saber. Human cross check complete. Fly safe. Copy your last minaret. We are all go. We are all go for final count. We affirm. Go payload. Go flight. Go final count. Uh, and we'll, let's stop there. Interruption, masked voice. But we'll just handle this stuff right now. Okay. Uh, so these are these are code names. Saber Green and Ice Minaret uh, are two different code names for two different individuals here. Uh, and then we have the these human verification words, which are rigor, apex, and sky shock, which all show up all through the grimoire in different areas. Uh, we know that rigor is a protocol for Rasputin. Is apex also a? Um, I don't a remember, protocol? but as soon as we read it, I'm sure we'll know. So, <laughs> and then sky sky shock, we know, is the awesome crucible stage that never ever comes up in matchmaking. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that stage is enormous, and I love it because I got my sparrow splatter on that one. But <laughs> so those are so we have words here showing. Uh, so what's interesting here is so yeah so we have saber saber green, uh, and we have ice minaret. So. Uh, a minaret is a is a tall, slender tower, which is usually part of a mosque. Uh, and saber green, you think is saber green here referring to sort of like the the go level of this I, saber? I think launch? it's the ship. Actually, I think it's the ship name. Oh, all right. And and uh, we'll um in just a second we'll read a little bit more and I'll tell you why. But we because we learned in another card there's a there's a ship called Exodus Red. Um. Well, oh, okay. I guess you're right. Maybe the ship's not called Exodus Red. Maybe the status of the ship is Exodus Red. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so here we go. <laughs> Interruption, masked voice. Yes, it's rigor. Yes, I believe that's correct. 
Yes, it is. Uh, it is an antimatter payload, a strategic asset. Specifically, I believe it's an annihilation pump cadiometric <laughs> weapon. Uh, Just throw all I, the words at it. I Annihilation pumped is the most terrible phrase. <laughs> Mass voice. Yes, it's covert. It's under secure ISIS. We have good confidence in the vehicle. We are not scrubbing civilian launches or clearing the range. Public inferentials would catch that. It's a security risk. Six at 100, we are go. Godspeed, Saber. You're all nominal here. Masked voice. We both know where that order came from. So this is the good part. Um, <laughs> so we find out later in the Ghost Fragment Old Russia 3 that the masked voice is actually General Chen Lanshu. Um, and then drop, you got the, looks like you got the, quote here from that card yeah so the exact quote is uh i don't understand why you came uh malahayati says she's probably lying malahayati understands lanshu very very well i don't understand why you masked yourself yesterday during the launch so yeah and to me the other key point there and we're going to get into this later but um ghost fragment old russia 3 happens one day after the saber green here um so anyway, so yeah, so we have General Chen Lanshu. So basically what she's doing is there's this launch, right, of this very secret doomsday weapon, and she's kind of checking in on it to make sure, you know, it's what she thinks it is. And so here we got, what else is highlighted? Um, well, so I, I highlighted Kadiometric here because if you listen to our last episode, which was the Books of Sorrow Part 2, we use this word. This word shows up there. Uh it shows up as part of the Dakua assault against the hive. They use cadiometric weapons against the hive. Uh, so it's interesting that this particular technology, at least in the Destiny universe, seems to be like doomsday level weapon. Uh, you know, the Dakua had no, this was their last resort against the hive. Like this was their pinnacle weapon. Uh, and here, like a millennia later, it's showing up, developed during Golden Age times uh, on Earth, cadiometric weapons. So whether cadiometric weapons are introduced because of the Traveler, like maybe the Traveler's main mode of fighting is cadiometric weapons, and then it bestows upon uh, these races the knowledge of these things, but bad things happen to the... <laughs> <laughs> the Dakua, so t whether or not bad things happen to us, because we have access to this, we're, we'll find out. And so this next part, I'm going into a little bit of speculation here and getting ahead of myself. And that's that's the hard thing about Rasputin is so much of this is interconnected. Um, there's that keyword there, it's under secure ISIS. And what's interesting is because of the keywords of Skyshock and the whole secure ISIS stuff, there's a card that we are going to read in a little bit here called Ghost Fragment Darkness. And so just in terms of a timeline, um, my personal theory is that this, if you're trying to place this card on some type of timeline, this is very, my personal theory is that this card is actually happening very near the end, possibly within days of the collapse. Um, and I don't want to get too far ahead because it's, it's too hard to explain without reading all these other cards and coming back to it. <laughs> but I just want to, so people keep that in mind, the secure ISIS and those keywords of Skyshock and things. They are very yeah. important, and they're going to come back up um, again and again. And so 
just keep those in mind and kind of just in terms of timeline. Yeah. And I'll, I'll mention here also uh, what I mentioned in Books of Sorrow. So the prefix kadio in kadiometric means to cut apart. Uh, and we, this word is going to show up again later on in these ghost fragments under different protocols. Uh, but also, there's a mis- ghost fragment mysteries card. This is one of the more famous lines for Rasputin is that I fought it with Aurora knives. There's a good chance that a kadiometric weapon is is that Aurora knife, like this this light slicing weapon. So, Oh, look. The next card, yeah. my other you least have a liked card. that says, this card is terrible. <laughs> so just read this first sentence and then keep it in mind. Keep in mind what the words mean as the rest of the card unfolds and you're going to, the image is just terrible. <laughs> you're dragon. You read this one. <laughs> All right. Am I reading the, the whole thing? Or do you want um, me just to highlight? Yeah, we'll, we'll stop you. I'm sure at some point right. to talk. General Chen lands she was flying her glider. She carves around the huge bulb nose of a colony ship, one of the Cosmodrome's towering children. Her eyes see temperature. She surfs the winter air rolling down off the cryo-chilled fuel tank. Turbulence rattles her bones. General, Malahayati sins, you're making Rasputin nervous. Am I? Lanshu banks, grinning, spiraling around the fuel tank. The machine hates risk. Risk to the general, sure, but also risk to to Rasputin's ships. Is that the word he used? Exactly. He can be very charming, the submind assures her. Malahaliyati works with Chen Yan Lanju, and she is certainly charming, but this is Rasputin's territory. Rasputin, the tactic king, the brooding worry first among equals. Okay, stop there. Yeah, I'm glad you're that. giving him all those to read. <laughs> I know, <right>? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I didn't comment on this in the show notes, but the interesting thing to me, and I guess I didn't comment because at the time I wasn't sure, is that it says her eyes see temperature. So you're like, oh, so is she like an exo? Because generally I can't see temperature. Um, but then it also says turbulence rattles her bones. So <laughs> I just think she has goggles on. Yeah. So I'm like, so she might just be wearing fancy goggles. So with, with, her fancy, out here. with her fancy flying glider. Yeah, with her fancy flying glider doing spirals <laughs> around the Cosmodrome rocket ships because she wants to make Rasputin nervous. Give me a break. Uh, it's just like, ha wow. <laughs> it was a different time during the Golden You're Age. It's so clearly. cool. Oh, Golden Age was so extreme. Uh, I think one of the awesome things to point out here is that uh, Mahalayati is an AI. She's a sub-mind. Uh, so that's that's actually like a pretty cool thing. Uh, nice. That that name Mahalayati comes from. She was the first woman admiral in our modern world. Uh, but so it's a pretty powerful name. But she is a submind. She's not as powerful as Rasputin. You know, she is uh, a, a lesser lesser AI in terms of raw power. But if you follow Bungie history in their games, you know that. One of the things that leads to rampancy is tiny submines sort of expanding beyond their boundaries. <laughs> um, anyway, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, so, yeah, and I was just going to say the, and then there's yeah the line about the tacit king, and tacit can be defined as something that's being implied without being stated. So it's kind of it could be saying you know Rasputin, the unspoken king, 
So kind of he rules all, even if he doesn't officially. Yeah. And my comment in the notes was, as opposed to being a taken king. (laughs) (laughs) And then I meant, yeah, you have this other comment here. Okay. Drop about the first among equals. So kind of referring to, um, there are other war minds and here it would imply, I guess he could be first either as in the first created or first as in highest, most powerful. Yeah, it's not, it's vague there. Mm-hmm. Although again, I said, you know, this is similar to Oryx who is the first among his God sisters when they are considered equals, but mm-hmm. Oryx is considered the, the first among them. Here, let's make X-ray read. There you go. <laughs> You get since, since he commented on it. Go ahead, X-Ray. Oh, man. All right. Where am I at here? Yesterday, Lance, yesterday, spoke. Yesterday, Lance, you spoke to a colony ship, AI, and it called Rasputin the tyrant, not without affection, and certainly not without respect. He can charm me in person, Lance, suggests. He's very private lately. Then he can sulk. She spreads her arms and legs and climbs a thermal whirling up, arrowing <laughs> off the top and out away from the colony ships towards the defensive wall. Why are you laughing at me? Her glider's a second skin. Yeah, yeah. Her glider's a second skin. Whip crack taut, paramuscle, like a flying fox. Okay, I'm going to stop you right here. So, remember when they said she's flying around in her glider? Her glider is a wingsuit. Her, she's a flying squirrel in this <laughs> whole thing. This is... This is, I, it's like, and then she starts Flying skywriting. Fox. That, that Red Bull is extreme. It's like, she lets her streamers <laughs> off. And, you know, it's like, come on. This <laughs> should have been the reward from the Red Bull quest. Yeah, I was going to say, where's our, where's our glider? <laughs> that would have been awesome for the Red Bull quest. A wingsuit, you can survive long right. drops. Red Bull gives you wings, right? <laughs> so basically, a uh, Warlock and a Titan. was sponsored by Red Bull. <laughs> Warlock and a Titan, he's going to fly around. <laughs> <laughs> and I get in before I'm sorry before we start again um there's the line about the AI the ship AI calling Rasputin the tyrant yeah um it's so hard because like I keep saying we're going to cover this in a second because everyone it's like you have to almost read all these cards at the exact same time and just be drawing lines back and forth but that AI is the AI from Ghost Fragment Old Russia 2 so if you're keeping track <laughs> we have Old Russia which happened yesterday, or not old Russia, it just, yeah, yeah, old Russia, which happened yesterday. Then we have old Russia three, which is this card happening today. And then we have old Russia two, which she also spoke to yesterday. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) so just try to keep it straight. So the tyrant is also historical name for Rasputin. So, but this is, again, this is a common theme in Bungie games. These AIs have very distinct personalities. They're not all just like robots talking to robots. The colony ship AI has an opinion about Rasputin, another AI. And, you know, even here it says he's been private lately. He can sulk. You know, an an AI can sulk. (laughs) You know, it's like these aren't just like, you know, I am a robot. I do what you tell me. I'm very smart. It's like there's personalities imbued within these artificial intelligences. Right. I'll I'll keep going X-ray. I won't make you read. <laughs> no, I don't mind reading. <laughs> um, Come on, it, it's bad sci-fi hour. Keep going. All right, keep going. Yep, you go. <laughs> Great. Now I'm I've scrolled down. 
Um, the, the Cosmodrome races. <laughs> the Cosmodrome races past beneath her. She waggles her waggles her wings. God. All right. She waggles her wings at a cloud of passing sensor mites. A saucy hello. Two of the security divisions, MTB, MBTs drill in the moth yards. I don't understand why you came, Malahate says. She's probably lying. Malahate understands Lanshu very, very well. I don't understand why you masked yourself yesterday during the launch. The launch, Saber Green, Rasputin quietly moving another doomsday weapon into Earth orbit. And all the other launches too. Not just weapons, but people. The colonization schedule pushed up as if the need to disperse is now imperative. So let's stop there. Uh, so I just made a note here that, you know, MBTs are drilling fluids. Doesn't really make a difference here. Uh, that the middle paragraph you read, we referenced earlier with uh, Mahalayati knowing that it was Lanshu who masked herself during the Saber Green launch. And here we have we learn what the Saber Green launch actually was. It's Rasputin moving a doomsday weapon into Earth orbit. Uh, you know, we have that Saber name, uh, you know, where, you know, Beta mentioned this could be the name of the ship. For me, it's more like Saber is the protocol. Green means it's go. So that's what the launch commenced. But this last line here is super interesting, you know, with uh, if the need to disperse is now imperative. This Beta, you want to take this? This is your note. Yeah, it just goes into it, my my theory that like I think these cards happen much closer to the collapse than some people might think they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we forgot to mention it, but in the previous card in Saber Green, there was that whole section about you know have we scrubbed any civilian launches? No, we don't want them to get suspicious, etc. Um, so it kind of goes back to Rasputin's doing things quietly, moving a lot of Doomsday weapons, and so. It seems like when we get into the collapse, Rasputin had a number of kind of messages, distress calls, contingency plans, and things that were kind of ramping up right before the collapse. But to me, at least, it seems like these movements of um, Rasputin being a little bit more quiet lately, being more private, launching some more doomsday weapons, Exodus schedules being pushed up. To me, it seems like he, my theory is he already knows something. Um, mm-hmm. which we'll read later, and that this is very near the end. So. so all right, moving on. Um, General Ch- General Chen Lanchu banks out across the wall. Look at all the beauty. Look at the highway rolling off across green hills and gray mountains. Imagine now, imagine if she just landed and started walking out away from everything into the wilderness. Does that drop you or is that in the card? <laughs> oh, he's yeah, he put a note there for me. He's he's away from the no, mic. Nothing will escape the show, even if it wasn't supposed to make it on air. <laughs> I was like I was like, that's not in the card. Um but imagine something went wrong, she says. Imagine this road choked with corpses. Imagine the security team gunning down refugees as they try to force their way onto the ships. Imagine cars from here to the horizon. Those stupid old-fashioned cars everyone still owns because of the strange, uneven advancement of this point of this post-traveler world leaves some things unchanged. Okay, let's stop there. Um, just a few quick things to point out. When they say that she's banking over the wall, we're talking about the Cosmodrome wall, not the city wall. 
Um, so just to point that out really quick. And then Drop has the comment that as she walked out into the wilderness, clearly she's a hunter at heart, which should make Drop happy. So as much as he <laughs> hates this card, he likes General, General Lanshu. Um, and then, personally, I think it's funny that she's imagining this, and I kind of think the collapse happened very shortly after. So it's like, hmm, <laughs> you clearly had some type of premonition, it seems. Um, yeah, there's no need for us to imagine. Yeah. That's what happens. We can, we can go and see it right now in the game. Yeah, and, and I, I just remembered they did talk about this, too, in the, oh, what do you call it? Um, the, the Cosmodrome ride-along. It's like if you, you know, can stop long enough, you know, stop shooting things in the Cosmodrome on your patrol for long enough and kind of just look around, you know, there are a lot. You start wondering, like, okay, well, there were all these cars, like, just on the road and there's bodies in the car still um there's you know craters and all kinds of things and the, it really does paint this picture of there was at the end there was this huge rush by the population to get into the cosmodrome and get off world and you've got these security forces who are trying to, who are gutting people down trying to keep them out um yeah this explains that expanse like where we're first discovered at the very beginning of the game you're like oh what why would my body be found in a car parked outside the cosmodrome and it's like this for exactly the situation that's described here when the collapse Mm. came thousands and thousands of people wanted to get off world so in order to do that they had to line up in front of the cosmodrome wall and attempt to break in and the cosmodrome security forces had to keep them out that's why that wall is even there to begin with uh that's kind of that's a terrifying situation like that is a a nightmare scenario for like what could happen on earth so but yeah we don't have to imagine it like you can go out and it's funny like i i explore out there sometimes we go back out there during one of the house of wolves missions uh there's a ghost hidden out there but you can go out there and the draw distance is enormous uh if you can get up high like on some of those old signs you can just see so far off into the horizon and it is it's just great the cars go on forever uh and you can sort of see if you do Cade stash when you get to the very top of you know the uh the ship tower you can see those cars just lined up you know all the way to the horizon it's it must have been a nightmare scenario but anyway so uh uh, and i guess to say really quickly to me, that kind of goes more goes with the theory that this is near the end because if Rasputin was trying to keep things quiet, um, it would explain the sudden rush. I mean, well, even if he even if he had been keeping it quiet, quiet, there still would have been a rush. But you know, so should we continue with some of this card, or do we want to jump down here to this question we had about it? Uh, keep. Keep reading well, the card, and then we'll hit the question. Yeah, the very end of this card is important. Okay, so. Uh, so Malhate continues, uh, you expect violence, Malhate says, in that conciliatory, what is that? Yeah. Is that right? In that conciliatory, careful way of hers, her way of managing meat people, <laughs> <laughs> something beyond our capability to preempt or contain. Expect, as a military professional, no, no, but... Once, when she was younger, 60 or 70, Chen Lanshu pulled rank to get a look at the never-be installation in Taipei. 
she watched the images in the fresco and she felt this foreboding, this enormous weight, a dread that refused to attach itself to any specific threat. And she felt it again last year when she was briefed on the project in Lhasa. The vision machine. Okay, now stop. Yeah. So this this paragraph here is huge in terms of lore. And I'm gonna let drop I'm gonna let uh beta handle it. Yeah, and so here's another connection if you're drawing lines between cards. So the never be installation in Taipei is referring to gold to Ghost Fragment, the Golden Age 2. Um and so I've got the card here, so I'll read it. It says Anomaly 779, Never Be. Skyscape fresco of smart crystals and pigments in a ceiling of Vestin plaster and diamond ribbing. Apparent size 14.4 by 3.55 by 0.022 meters. Participants witness images set in an undetermined orbital habit. 5 to 77 images are generated per participant. The quantity seems insensitive to the participant's time of exposure. Participants experience strong intuitions. Uh, modal self-reports include uh, an electric sense of belonging to a cause, the intuition that a pivotal truth is about to be delivered, a persistent foreboding that lingers for days to years, amorphous grief, agape love. Outlier reports include the hum of wind, the scent of lilacs, um, changes in apparent gravity, the ability to sing perfectly, and the perception of flesh as transparent. One corner was damaged during the move to the present location, affording a glimpse into the work's interior. Key materials have not been identified, but there's evidence that the fresco ties into quantum computers set in a parallel dimension or on distant world. The work appears to be unfinished. Um, I love this thing so much. <laughs> yeah. This is awesome. This is like a some at some point in the golden age this thing is discovered and it is a mind trip painting that you stare into and it causes all these insane things to happen to you <laughs> yeah and and it is very similar to the device um not in all of these things but some of the things like the foreboding um about the future and things and what's to me the most interesting thing about this paragraph is that Rasputin was over both these projects. They were military projects. So the the device in Lhasa and the Never Be installation in Taipei. Um, so it's very interesting that near the end here, Rasputin is, is dabbling in some pretty crazy stuff. Like, if you remember from the World's Grave mission, um, <coughs> sorry, the our ghost tells us that the Hive have broken the Beckenstein limit which is basically you can only sto store so much information in a particular space, theoretically. And so it kind of alludes to the fact that the Hive are using parallel dimensions to store information because with the space that we see, it's not possible. There's too much info. And it's interesting to me because this fresco, it's like, whoa. So at, towards the end of our golden age, we apparently had, you know, these quantum computers. We were operating... <laughs> I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's like quantum computing. There's the ability to perceive multiple dimensions. Uh, you know, we know that we don't know what the origin of this thing is. It is an anomaly. There's other anomalies in the game. Uh, I hope we find this fresco somewhere. I'm hoping it's in the vault of Charlemagne. Uh, but this thing is crazy. Like this is technology that seems 
either far beyond what should be accessible to the golden age. Like, yeah, people still drive old clunkers of cars, but we have this like reality warping quantum vision painting. Like, uh, where did this thing come from? And it's an anomaly, which means that they can't identify if any human being made it. Uh, you know, we know that the vault of glass is a giant quantum computer for the, you know, for the simplest version of that. Uh, so who made this thing? Uh, and it's it's resemblance again to this Lahasa device, which comes up again and again and again. The vision machine that we talked about previously with Maya, and its ties to the future war cult. It's like so. There's a non, you know, oh, you have to take drugs, and the human mind will be broken by the machine. But humans can obviously go and look at this painting and feel a lot of the similar effects. I want to find this painting. Lore field trip. It, yeah, it's it's got to be out there somewhere. I see that that that, uh, <laughs> that handsome dragon has the first sentence of this paragraph highlighted. Yeah, I think it's just interesting. You know, there's always a lot of question about ages and things like that in the world of destiny, and so just the fact that it says when she was younger, sixty or seventy, and so the fact that sixty or seventy is considered young in this age, I think that should give a kind of an idea of what kind of the life was life with um expectancy i guess or things like that and that goes back to that famous that's the speaker quote saying that human lifespans tripled during Mm -hmm. the golden age so so that's it's always important to remember that that one key little thing it affects so much about the perception of the world that we're in where it's you know you know people talk about i I think it was brought up during the amanda holiday episode where it's like oh you know how old does she appear to be? So how long did it take her to get into uh, the city or the tower from where she was first born? It's like, mm-hmm. well, she could have been traveling the wasteland for 50 years and still be considered really young when she got there. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, so when people, you know, we know Osiris is called an, an old warlock or, and so, it's, you know, how old is that? And does that, yeah. that could be 300 years old 400 years old and so it's or even like ava levante like we know ava levante is an an older woman Mm -hmm. but older woman may not mean 60 or 70 it may mean like 250 exactly so she means there's a lot she could have seen like she could be like a this giant wealth because the history is so nebulous in destiny knowing that there's people who've been around that long like we need to be able to talk to them. Like we need to know what happened. So, uh, so we got another question that we've kind of injected into the middle of this from, uh, over in the crucible chat. Um, it, this, this one comes from, uh, Sundrathis. And what they ask is what is the deal with the anomaly? It matches Rasputin's design. Is the anomaly part of the war mind or under supervision? Uh, yeah, I've talked about this in the past. Uh, I love the anomaly. Uh, when I was when we were first talking about lore stuff, and I was like just pinging off episode ideas. Uh, I want to do like sort of like a one-off episode of like these random things that appear once and don't ever appear again. And a big one is the anomaly. Uh, and we know from the anomaly card that it ha- it has effects on people who are around it for too long. Uh, insomnia including insomnia so severe it requires hospitalization 
uh, that there's intense electromagnetic fluctuations coming off the anomaly. Uh, all scans don't do any; they're all futile. They don't do anything, uh, and it's constructed in a manner that defies modern techniques. So that ranking as an anomaly makes it very similar to this fresco painting and possibly the the vision machine in La Hassa. It's like, where did this thing come from? Why does it have such an incredible effect on humans? You know, and it defies all of sort of our ability to learn where it came from. Yeah, and doesn't it have the mark of what we believe to be Charlemagne's mark and as well as Rasputin's mark? Yeah, so there's there's the sort of like diamond with wings, which mm-hmm. we believe, which we sort of know is Rasputin. It's everywhere. And then there's the pure diamond shape, uh, which is related to Rasputin or just the war mind symbol in general. But we also know that the moon was neutral ground there. And if Rasputin couldn't figure out what the anomaly was, it seemed like this was a joint war mind installation where the war minds of the time were trying to figure out what exactly this anomaly is. Or, so, or they it, knew exactly what it was, like the device, and they were trying to use it for espionage. That, oh, that's highly possible as well. Uh, but it's funny that, you know, the description of the anomaly uh, very clearly states that being around it for too long has severe negative side effects, yet it's a crucible. <laughs> it's a crucible. I, yeah, I, say, I would love it if at, towards the end of every crucible match, you know, the screen started getting just a little shaky. <laughs> well, so, so a slight, you know, divergence here then on, um, there is a map I'm blanking on the name right now, but every so often the screen kind of does that. It gets really bright and there's like a loud noise. And you're, it's like your screen gets blurry. Uh, oh, black, yeah, black, is... Not Black Widow. What's the other one? Thieves Den. That's what it is. Thieves Den. And every so often, like, I don't know what causes it. I don't know if there's, if it's, I don't believe it's every match on that map. Just randomly on that map. Every now and then your screen just starts to kind of shake. Everything goes blurry. And there's almost like a bright light. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, I know why uh, it doesn't affect me on Anomaly, because I spend more time dead than I think alive, so. (laughs) It affects me, the insomnia thing affects me on Anomaly, because I just want to have one more game. (laughs) I'll go to bed after this next one. Yeah, Uh, But yeah, so yeah, as far as we know, uh, the Anomaly, the stage, the Crucible map, Anomaly, and the actual Anomaly that's in the center of it, uh, yeah, that is a Warmind facility, and whether the war mines were using it for some purpose or whether uh, they didn't know what it was and they're trying to figure out what it is. That's very much that kind of thing. Also, it makes mention that the hive are coming for it. And again, for some reason, the hive love the war mines, especially Rasputin. So if that's a Rasputin facility, we know that they'll be there soon enough. All right. So finishing off this card. So it says, uh, she shivers, her wings shudder and tremble in the airstream. Oh, <laughs> isn't that what we do uh mala she says why we still have soldiers why we made you expectation the traveler came out of nowhere entirely unanticipated imagine if it hadn't been friendly imagine that rasputin surely has so that's the end of the card um so just the why we made you line just to remember that um, mala is a submind. she's not human um and then, well, the whole Rasputin stuff, um, this is our, it goes into our next section, 
um, pretty directly because clearly here um, Lanshu is described, you know, insinuating that Rasputin um, has thought of the trap, you know, what if the traveler were bad and kind of, or good and all these different scenarios like a good AI would. And uh, it goes into, unless one of you guys has a comment for the end of this card, it goes into our next section, the contingency plan. I mean, I have comments about this card, but I'll keep it to myself. <laughs> Constructive lore-based comments. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is this next card's huge because for a long time it was is like is this what it says it is, or did this actually happen? Yep. Mm-hmm. And if if we get into a debate at the end here, um, we might not make it to the rest of the cards. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. And this is going to start those kind of those types of cards where we are kind of just having to stop very often and describe lots of different words and tons of things. So bear with us. Um, this one will be reading probably line by line um, because it's a it's a communique basically from Rasputin. Um, and I keep realizing I said this card. It's Ghost Fragment Rasputin Five. So. And again, uh, if you're near a computer when you're listening to this, the ishtarcollective.net is a great resource to be able to follow along. Yeah, just, I mean, plug in Rasputin and you'll get these cards brought up in a nice little thing. You can just sort of read them along. Yeah. Along with us. Yeah. Um, so, Whisper Neutrino Needle. Okay. <laughs> uh, there's a number I'm not going to read. You want me to read this for you? Here, I'll read it. I like reading numbers. It's awesome. V101 NTS 923ATS000, which basically is either a message ID or some type of timestamp that Bungie made up. Uh, (laughs) Wait, they're making up timestamps? They kind of wrote all this so that technically it's all made up by them, but we won't go that deep. So, Uh, What what suborbital phase in which sphere is this? Yeah, which radial rotation? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so it says, Secret Hadal, Abhor. Um, I just have a question here, because Abhor, do you guys have any idea what that might mean? So <laughs> Hadal is probably referring to Hades, you know, or a, a deep kind of deep space, darkness type thing. But um, I was just yeah, curious abhor, if you guys the, had an idea word, on Abhor. Oh, the word abhor means to hate something. Regard with disgust and hatred. Which, I I guess, yeah, that's why I had the question. Because to me, I'm like, so the message starts out, secret Hadal, I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, well, here we go. Well, no, let's look at it this way, right? So we know that the Hadal zone is a real thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and if it it is a reference to sort of like, I mean, it's a real thing in our world, uh, Maybe not necessarily what it means here, but if the idea, if the word Hadal in this case is meaning sort of like hellish or alien hellscape, like in the way out in the middle of the darkness, like that is something that needs to be, you know, uh, addressed immediately. Like this is like an, this is a threat. Like this is something way out there in the darkness I have discovered and the abhor thing means like, is it good or is it bad? It's bad. Like abhor. This is a thing that's bad for humanity that we have discovered way out there in the middle of the darkness. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it seems like a, a a loop around trying to think of something like that. But I mean, yeah, like 
a Hadal zone. I mean, in our world, a Hadal zone is a super deep trench, uh, but it's also like an abyssal darkness. So, yeah, All right. Not that's as good as any. I mean, so, um, so AICOM, RSPN, or Respian, assets, su- subtle, imperative, contingent action order. And we need to stop here and say this because this seems to keep coming up. Um, this is a contingency plan. And it got bad enough that the grimoire writer himself on Reddit, um, General Batuta, Baduta, uh, he came out and reiterated that this is a contingency plan. So it's not saying specifically whether Rasputin did one thing or the other. It's just saying what the plan was. And the debate will be if he did one thing or the other. But um, just to reiterate that, this was this was just the plan. So um, this is a subtle. So again, this is a subtle assets imperative. No human review. No AI com review. Secure abhor. So. And it seems, unless there's, it's maybe other war minds, but I mean, this seems like basically a plan that Rasputin devised and kind of logged away for himself, but nobody knows about this plan. No human overseers know about this plan, at the very least. No submines know about this plan. Um, I like the comment Drop has here about uh, the no human review kind of does, like you said, uh, drop in your comment the mark of a truly sentient being that means that you know it this is something that yeah we're guessing Rasputin kind of came up on, with on his own <laughs> yeah and this is this is a common theme also again with Bungie AI this is an AI who has made a decision that it does not need the approval of its creators to do something beneficial for them like this is this is like scary AI sentience. Like, I know what's best for you. I don't need your approval. <laughs> yeah. And I don't even need other AI's approval. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's kind of terrifying. So, stand by for criteria. So, what's going to follow is a giant if-else statement. Um, and if all of these logic gates are accepted, then he'll do something. So. Under Carhe, white or black, and we will immediately stop. <laughs> so Carhe is like a scenario. Um, I don't know what white or black means. I'm guessing it might be uh, different versions of the scenario or uh, criticalness of the scenario. But Carhe, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a battle scenario. So under under given scenario, and then it'll say if this, if this, if this, um, and also. The Battle of Carhe was um, when the Parthian Empire beat a much numerically superior Roman force. So basically, so the scenario could also refer to um, scenario of overwhelming force. Yeah, this is like, I think like white is we are not outnumbered, black is we are outnumbered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so if security state is Egyptian, so again, stop. <laughs> um this to me i imagine this you know kind of like with the president or with some you know important figure there's all sorts of code names and you know different phrases and things that refer to different scenarios and states um so 
clearly here Rasputin has decided um, there's a security state called Egyptian. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier in the uh, Sabre card where, remember, he said secure ISIS. And so you're like, okay, well, ISIS, um, you know, possibly he's referring here to the traveler under an Egyptian security state, which is why I tend to think that those events might have been taking place near the end um, because we'll see later that he raises the security state. So, well, I mean, yeah, it's interesting here, like Egyptian. There's tons and tons and tons of references to mythology all through the Destiny lore. You know, whether it's like protocols for AI or weapons or ships or armor or there's tons and tons and tons of mythology referenced. Uh, The biggest sort of referential uh, aspect in the game that we have to Egyptian, like other than Isis, you know, Isis was an Egyptian goddess. So we have that here. Uh, Isis's brother was Osiris. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep. And that's Osiris lore is full of Egyptian mythology. Uh, so again, we have the very beginnings here, like the very spark of a reference to Osiris going this far back. Uh, and that's kind of crazy. But anyway, keep going. So, so if security state is Egyptian, if event rank is teal hard, traumatic context, or sky shock, outside context, and you might recall sky shock was one of those words that, again, was mentioned during the uh, Saber launch. And so, um, I keep saying it, but again, kind of one of my things where I think we're very near the end here because... Well, I think this contingency plan was created a long time ago, and I think the old Russia cards take place near the end because a lot of these keywords and statements that he's mentioning in his contingency plan seem to already be somewhat in effect by the time that we read the old Russia cards. I'll just point out that this is another reference. So we had that earlier reference to sort of a, the simulation theory, uh, which is developed by a philosopher. Teilhard was a philosopher, uh, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. Uh, it was a famous quote about uh, existence where like, it's uh, you are not a human being in search of a spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being immersed in a human experience. So there's a sort of like uh, a reference here to sort of like a, the transcendental nature of existence in philosophy. Uh, and that's what this rank is referring to. Cool. Um, so then we have if Veluspa is active. And Veluspa um, is basically, well, here, drop. My daughter's about to come in the room. You take this one. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is, I mean, so Veluspa, uh, this is, if Veluspa is active and in failure, uh, synapse to Fenrir Sutrir. So Veluspa is the sort of like the, the first and obvious, not obvious, but like one of the best known poems of the poetic Edda, which is sort of like the history of uh norse mythology uh so and this is voluspa deals a lot with odin and then we see again here in fenrir and sertrir these are both edda references uh and they deal very specifically with ragnarok with the end of the world uh 
what is what is a note here on synapse is that mine no that's not that's betas oh it's just what a what a synapse is yeah uh, <laughs> to me it i'm back um it goes it's kind of like we mentioned way earlier about the neural network yeah. so once we start getting into these kind of um communiques from rasputin you you do get the sense that it's some type of neural network just based on the the language he uses yeah and i i love the use of fenrir here uh you know this again a reference to Edda, a reference to norse mythology if you've ever played a final fantasy game you know who fenrir is uh fenrir is the father of wolves uh and he had a son his son was skull uh uh and Fenrir himself is the son of Loki, which we saw uh, in, is, have we mentioned Loki crown? Oh, that's a little bit no, further down. Further. So anyway, yeah, uh, Fenrir is literally the Lord of Wolves and his son is Skoll or Skolas. So <laughs> this wolf, these wolf references, you know, uh, again, there's so much deep mythological references here. Uh, and then Surtrir here is also interesting uh, because Surtrir in the Edda brings about Ragnarok. Uh, he battles the Aesir with his bright sword. Kadiometric weapons? I don't know. I can't say. Uh, but he lit- he brings flames that engulf the entire earth. So this is very much a doomsday scenario using Norse mytholog- mythological terms. And then we immediately go into, if you, in Yuga, uh, we don't have a note here, but that's also mythological, isn't it, Drop? This next line. This is Yuga Sundown? Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, well, isn't Yuga it is. one of the Hindu yeah. um, doomsday yes. type prophecies? Yeah, it, there's, in Hinduism, there's this four-age cycle, uh, and a Yuga is an era within that cycle. So, uh, okay. So, so yeah, so the lion says, if Yuga is active and in sundown, so it would be like the sundown of the Golden Age, or the end of the Golden Age, right? Yeah. Yes, this would be the, yeah, sort of like the end of, of this particular epoch in this four-age cycle. Okay. Um, so then going on to the next line, if AICOM has granted permissive potentiation to outboard resilient instances, I don't know what any of that means. I'm going to move on. Well, <laughs> unless but, you know, no, drop. Well, no, but we know it says if AI com has granted permissive, we already know from the above line, no AI com review will be done. So it's like this, this looks like it's looking for other AIs, whether this is Rasputin saying I've conferred with Charlemagne, I've conferred with whoever Martel, I've conferred with Submines, and they have granted permission. Uh, but we know from before he's not gonna he's not gonna do that. He's not gonna have an AI com review. So he's basically saying, if I've given myself permission, yes. <laughs> um, if a civilian, if a civilization kill event is underway, all flexions. Um, so clearly, again, doomsday, very bad scenario. Um, it, that is, this is one of like one of my favorite terms. Uh, <laughs> Uh, civilization kill event <laughs> i love that that in all caps it's just like okay the worst possible thing is going to happen yeah and then if tactical morale now this line i love if tactical morality is built at midnight and to me this is crazy and awesome 
because, <laughs> um, so I mean, he's talking about morality here. So it's basically like, to me, it's parameters, um, you know, that dictate his engagements. And, you know, there's always discussions of, you know, in certain scenarios, is it morally justified to kill X number of civilians to win the war or, you know, discussions like that. Um, so Rasputin basically has morality parameters. And then, so then he says, if my morality parameters are built at midnight and, um, drop, you go into this, but midnight generally means end of the world. Um, yeah. all hope is lost morality scenario. Yeah. This is, this is the doomsday clock midnight. This is, we are at Armageddon. So I was curious about that line. I'm going to jump back just a little bit because you guys were talking about it, that, uh, that permissive, uh, potentiation. And I found a reference to Emerson's The Poet. Oh. Um, that mentions, um, it says, uh, here's the, here's the quote from, from that. It's, therefore the poet is not any permissive potentiate, but is emperor in his own right. So it's like, he kind of, kind of thinks himself to be, um, be correct, but, uh, but doesn't need kind of any anything else to substantiate it, I guess, right? Is that kind of how that? Yeah, and that, that and reads? that lines up. Yeah, that lines up exactly with the no AI com review. Right, that right. Is, yeah. I have granted myself the permission. Yeah, yeah. So, so there you go. Another another kind of awesome. poetic reference there. Awesome reference. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And um, and just yeah, it's the last thing to say on the midnight. Um, you know, in terms of morality, you, and we'll see that. We'll see this later, but, um, you know, in a midnight, all civilization is about to die scenario. It doesn't seem like Rasputin has many moral parameters, you know, or in terms of do I spare civilians? Do I not spare civilians? It seems like, uh, his midnight parameters are basically do whatever is necessary. And so, and so again, recall that, um, up to this point, that was basically every single one of those conditions had to be met to get to the point we're at now. So it's a huge logic statement. Um, so if all of that is going down, then this next line says, stand by for decision point. And so again, this next, he hasn't made the decision yet. It's just, if all of that happens, um, then this next line will be the decide will be, um, you know, the final if statement, it'll be the final decision on what I do. Um, so it says, if available, <coughs> coughing again. If you guys recall, many episodes back, I said this would last for months. So I'm fulfilling <laughs> on that. <laughs> so, um, well, here. So if available, ISR, and then drop you of a, a comment here on ISR. Yeah. So, I mean, ISR, as we know it as a technology, is incoherent scatter radar. Uh, it's a phenomenon that occurs in physics uh, where you can. Uh, by referring to the scattering of an electromagnetic wave, usually like lights or frequencies, you can gauge if a thing, the state of a thing. Uh, so if you can tell if the like frequencies are fluctuating via like different particles, you can say, oh, so X is going to happen because of the, because of the reading of this ISR. And I believe this to be, this is, uh rasputin's he's monitoring the traveler based on incoherent scatter radar
Yes, no. Long pause. Long pause. <laughs> <laughs> no, that makes sense. That I makes sense muted. to me. I at was least. muted. Sorry. Oh. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm sure Beta has some thoughts on that. <laughs> was, yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to agree with that. And then I was saying, uh, Drop, why don't you take over reading duties so I don't talk so much and hence don't cough so much? Oh, <clears throat> okay. So I'll just go through this whole thing. Uh, if available, ISR and Warwatch indicates imminent O departure. So we know that the O here is reference to the Traveler, which is why I believe this ISR thing is the scatter radar. Uh, then O departure compromises human, neo-human survival and epoch strategy. Stand by for abhorrent imperative. So let's stop there. Yeah, this is, uh, this is the good stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, this is, I think this is just sort of, you know, this is, so I'm making a decision. Uh, if every if all my information points to the traveler leaving, and that and the traveler leaving compromises human or neo human survival, then now, so it says stand by for abhorrent imperative, activate Loki crown, perform deniable authorization, full cadiometric and noetic release, prevent O departure by any means available. <laughs> And I, I like I know that line. There is kind of what's used a lot in the argument that the traveler or that the uh, that Rasputin did stop the traveler was just the performed deniable author- authorization. Just the way he wrote it basically protects him from being blamed. Basically, so even if he was to perform this, there'd be no way to trace it back to him. Yep. And before we get into the debate, which is huge, (laughs) I wanted to go through some of these lines, like a line that some people might pass over if we go up a tiny bit is the whole human, neo-human survival. So it's confirmed that we have neo-humans, you know, and I don't know if that's referring to exos or if that's referring to something else, because you'd think, you know, Rasputin would just call exos exos. Um, Could just be babies. (laughs) <laughs> so so here if we will you allow beta a, a moment of um spin metal hat indulgence before you do that i just want to make one more quick little reference up here uh so the standby for abhorrent imperative um if you remember up at the top you know it had that uh that secret had all a bore so that's just kind of a, yeah. i think that's just again reiterating that um the that now that we've done all this, these calculations or looked at all these if statements that we're now trying to make a decision, um, whether or not this, uh, this imperative should be acted upon. Right. Right. And yes. this is that yeah. kind of disgust, <laughs> whatever, whatever a bore was, it's, it's like that, that loathing. Yeah. It, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that we're still, I know we've, we've, we took a long time to talk about, you know, 15 lines, but, uh, but we're to the point now where all of this, these calculations that, that the AI is making have come to this decision point. Go ahead, beta with your, your <laughs> spin metal theory. A lot of people, yeah. this isn't necessarily my theory. A lot of people have had this, made these connections, but to, uh, to voice them. So with the whole neo-human thing, it is interesting because you wonder, okay, could that be the exos or could it be something else? Um, so another interesting theory is maybe the seven seraphs themselves were part of this neo-human group. 
because we do have a possible connection between Rasputin and the Praxic Warlock Order, which some people might say, well, that's ridiculous. But (laughs) if you look at the, the Cormorant seal robes, which are warlock robes, they have the basically the Rasputin seal on them. Um, mm-hmm. So, which is kind of crazy because you're like, wait, wait a minute, what? So, it's it's kind of cut in half. There's one side on each part of the robes, um, and and it could be the Rasputin symbol. It's the one the diamond with the wings. You know, it could also be the seven seraphs symbol because wings. You know, um, seraphs, angels, that kind of idea. But it's very interesting because, um, but not entirely interesting. But not entirely interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, the same symbol also appears on the intact Warmind core, and then of course we know. So those cormorant seal robes are very much tied not just to the warlocks, but they are tied to the Praxic Order of warlocks. And you might remember that the Praxic Order are Sun Singers, um, which and then obviously the most famous Sun Singer is Osiris. And this is where it gets really crazy because oh, man. you'll remember that the cor- the concordant, um, they yeah Lysander he they accused, accused Osiris. Osiris of being a golden age experiment, and so you have it's again it's very spin metal hat, but you have to start wondering, wait, what were these neo humans? If it I mean, obviously if he's referring to the exos, it's the exos, but if he's not referring to the exos, and Rasputin's you know symbol is appearing on warlock sunsinger robes you have to start asking you know were they experimenting with and rasputin loves his solar weapons kadeometric aurora knives solar power sleeper simulant pocket infinity it's all solar based um was you know was osiris truly a golden age experiment um you know was the sunsinger ability something that was you know, being messed around with in some no, form. No, okay, so I'll, I'll chime in on this. <laughs> I think it's fascinating that the idea that Neo-Human could be referring to whatever Osiris is. I love that part of it. The Sunsinger part? Absolutely not. <laughs> being a Sunsinger comes from being a Guardian, and we know that no Guardian existed before the Ghosts, and no Ghosts existed until far after the Collapse. Uh I do, we, um, we've had the Egyptian references, now we have the Neo-Human references, it would not surprise me at all if Osiris is tied back this far. And again, as Osiris moved forward and Osiris rose as a guardian, uh, especially a sun singer, that if he had a memory of these things, uh, or was still able to contact Rasputin, we still don't know who opened Rasputin's bunker before we got there. Like, why? We still don't. And this is getting way ahead. Uh, but, you know, when Rasputin wakes back up, we don't know who did that. We don't know why Rasputin was brought back online. Uh, so, yeah, this could tie, this could very much tie Osiris, our current Osiris, and the resurgence of Rasputin with the neo-human Osiris before he was what we know him now and, you know, the golden age Rasputin. Mm-hmm. So have we, have we looked at all or tried to tie this at all into just a uh, neo-humanism, the, the kind of theory or the, the thought uh, behind um, that, that, uh, that, that, def- that definition? Well, the thing, I don't think neo-human appears anywhere else in the grimoire. This is like one of the only, I mean, it's usually the word humanity is used uh, 
as a whole to to define both uh humanity as we knew it this new super life long life span uh humans like everything humanity is usually the blanket term uh that's used and i'm pretty sure that yeah we never Neo-humans definitely a Rasputin thing, so it's not really sure what it, it refers to. Well, so I, I was just reading through this kind of a description of oh, what neo-humanism yeah. is. And so this guy, guy, girl, I don't know, it's, it's uh, initials PR Sar- Sarkar, says, uh, when the underlying spirit of humanism is extended to everything, animate and inanimate, in this universe... I have designated this as neo-humanism. This neo-humanism will elevate humanism to universalism, love for all created beings of this universe. So reading through this more, I'm not going to go into the whole, this whole uh, article that I'm kind of skimming over, but, uh, but it essentially is kind of this, this thought, I think of um, a, a, that neo-humanism is kind of, is the spirit of benevolence. Um, it, it's to teach love, one must embody it. So it's like this, these beings that he's talking about saving, um, are kind of, to me, after reading this a little bit, I'm thinking about how, you know, the, the traveler showed up and has made everything great and, and all of the people affected by it are now possibly these neo-humans that have embraced life and, and embraced all this new stuff and everything as being kind of just kind of, I hate to say it, but like just beautiful in its own right. And nothing is kind of, of out of the realm of being accepted. I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to correct myself right here. The word neo-human does appear in the grimoire. Uh, it appears in the city card in with some other amazing references. Uh, I like that theory on neo-humanism that, you know, sort of during the golden age, just elevation occurs. Uh, and it could be, it could be like old human traditions and golden age human traditions existing alongside one another. Like we, it was sort of like a second Renaissance here. So Mm. neo-human could be a very appropriate term in this case. Uh, I'm going to read a line from the grimoire card, the city. Uh, the city is a thriving walled ecumen. There's that word again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> rich, rich with the languages and traditions of every surviving human and neo-human culture. The city's population faces real challenges, inequality, fear, scarcity, and the specter of internal strife. But the great traditions of the golden age live on and many classes of suffering and injustice have been eradicated forever. So we have a direct reference here to neo-human culture. Again, this could just be meaning golden age, like to sort of like second Renaissance style human culture. Right. And just like, I mean, just like my grandparents today haven't really embraced um, what we, what we love and and use every day as far as technological advances. It could be the same thing there. You know, the traveler could have shown up. And there were these groups that are like, no, no, this is not right. We're not going to follow or we're not going to going to be a part of this new age. All this stuff is is bad. You know, it could mean yeah. could mean kind of the end of the world uh, where everyone else is like, oh, my gosh, we're living longer. Everything's better. Our technology is just, you know, we're just flourishing. And so I could definitely see that the, then these two, uh, you know, humanism and, and neo-humanism kind of existing 
in different, you know, maybe that's the people that were outside of the wall, the, the people that were, we were trying to, to bring in as guardians, uh, to, to protect and save. I like it. I also want to point out and offer my sincerest condolences to all of golden age of Germany. Uh, <laughs> as this card says, rich with the languages and traditions of every surviving human and neo-human <laughs> culture. And since Rahul can't find anybody who speaks pre-collapsed German, it means that no German traditions or languages survived. Sorry, guys. Uh, my whole family Sorry. was wiped out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, but yeah, yeah no, that's, that's, and I'll tell you what, just listening to us kind of, hammer some of this stuff out as we talk about it this is the kind of stuff we do all the time in our chat and in our conversations with each other just to to try to figure out what's going on and so many new things just kind of kind of bubble to the surface so if you want to be a part of that you can definitely join our fan chat uh just, just shoot us an email i'm sorry shameless plug i guess but but yes shoot us an email and tell us you want to join us and and you can hop in and talk i mean we've got so many great people in there discussing lore right now um and and it's it's a it's a fun place to to come to these amazing kind of of revelations of what's going on so i'm gonna i'm gonna talk real quick about loki crown uh which is the Loki crown is the initiative by which Rasputin could prevent the traveler from leaving. Uh, so this is a full cardiometric and noetic release. Uh, this is Loki crown. This is use everything we have to keep the traveler here. Uh, and again, I'm talking about being steeped in lore here. Let's, um, let's tie some things together. So Loki was the father of Fenrir, who we've already mentioned. It's one of the protocols for Rasputin. Fenrir kills Odin during the end of the world in Ragnarok. Uh, but interesting also, in the Edda, Loki kills Heimdall, uh, who is, I think a lot of people know Heimdall as the bearer of the Gallarhorn or Yallerhorn. <laughs> uh, so uh, Heimdall has great foresight, keen eyesight and hearing. He, is, uh, he keeps the watch for Ragnarok and Loki kills him. Uh, but there's another thing to point out here also is that there's there is very much and I think this is the reference uh, very much so this is Loki uh, sort of like this is like an usurper's type deal this is taking taking the crown uh, or taking the the tr- you know, Loki's very often attested to as sort of like a trickster god type thing so whether Loki crown means putting the crown on. The traveler viewing the traveler as sort of like a trickster or charlatan, uh, or whether this means that Rasputin is taking the crown for himself. I don't really know, uh, but it's also worth noting that Loki is an algorithm for cryptology, so this could be a very much a double meaning here. Uh, so these are data encryption standards. Uh, Loki eighty nine and Loki ninety one are block ciphers designed. Uh, to replace those standards to create like really intense secure encryption uh, but those algorithms were named for loki the trickster god so it all sort of comes back to begin with but yeah so now you know it's loki's the father of fenrir these are both protocols that exist within uh rasputin very much concerning the end of the world which is ragnarok uh, and then as a fun sort of like side thing there, we have Yellerhorn, everybody's favorite rocket launcher. 
uh, which belonged to Heimdall, who Loki killed. So there's so much like our world lore embedded in Destiny's world lore. <laughs> so, but uh, so uh, we we are at over two hours, which our fans are gonna love. <laughs> and I have a hard stop in ten minutes, so I say. Okay. If you guys agree, we finish reading these last two lines, then have a quick debate on what we think happened. And okay. We close out that way, if you guys agree. Yep. Let's do it. Yeah. So let's do it. Okay. So, so yeah, these last lines are stand by for, stand by for effect assessment criteria. Course, pseudo-altruistic O-defensive action. Defer civilization kill. Stop, stop, stop. V-101, NTS-923, ATS-001. So the pseudo altruistic line there is what Dragon was referring to earlier, where um, you know, <laughs> pseudo altruistic traveler defensive action. So it's like, oh, so even if Rasputin does strike the traveler, make it look like the traveler wanted to help, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is where the debate comes from because it's it makes it difficult to know exactly what happened, um, right? So, so, so this is very this very much could go back to Loki Crown too. Like, put a false crown on this thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how we want to, I guess we can do kind of a round table. So my personal theory. Before the theory, hang on one second. Okay, I just got to ask a question okay. because I don't, I don't know the number at the end. It is increased by a single digit. It went from zero, zero, zero to zero, zero, one. Do we think that has anything? I mean, do we, so for me, and these are timestamps because they show up, well, okay, true phrase. These are either timestamps or message counts. Um, okay. So it could be zero was the start of the message. Now it's one because the message ended. But the funny thing is it could be a timestamp too because if the message was sent within one second or within one minute, it, you know, I don't know. So, yeah, I, re- okay. I, I read it as, you know, the zero, zero, zero was, you know, the first message and then he's stopping and then, okay, get ready for the next message, which is zero, zero, one. That might bring, that's just how I read it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. There, and we'll find in the collapse cart when we next episode, um, or next time we do this, he has a bunch of these timestamps in the collapse messages. And they're, yeah, they don't really make a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, my, so, my personal theory is that no, Rasputin did not act. And my evidence for it is. One, we have the ghosts, which so far, according to everyone, including the ghosts, say that they came from the Traveler as a last-ditch effort. Now, I suppose Rasputin could have infected the Traveler somehow, forced the Traveler to create the, you know, the whole pseudo-altruistic thing. But anyway, so that's my one, ev- my first evidence is that we have ghosts, which seem like, um, I don't know if Rasputin would have really had the power to create those out of the Traveler. Um, and imbue and, and you know imbue them with properties of light, and then another evidence I have is we have we'll read it later. Um, we don't need to go into it now, but there is the um, from Legends and Mysteries. Is it Darkness? The card? Nope, not Darkness. There's a Legends and Mysteries card where Rasputin is talking about it and meeting it at the gate of the garden, and then he says the gardener. It killed the gardener, and the gardener fought, um, and she was stronger than Rasputin, but she lost. Now, this is predicated on the assumption that the gardener is referring to the traveler. But if the gardener is referring to the traveler, then right there, Rasputin says she fought and she lost. Um, 
So if the gardener is the traveler, then in Rasputin's own words, she fought. So we have that. And then... Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, well, I mean, that, that anyway, those are my argument. those are my two main evidences for why I don't the, think it happened. You know, one of the big things here that's interesting to me is you know, perform deniable authorization, full cadeometric and noetic release. So again, we have this word cadeometric. We know that these are this is this like ability to f- flay with light. This is an incredibly powerful weapon. Uh, it's been used everywhere the traveler seems to appear. Somebody ends up with cadeometric weapons. But this would be the first time, we don't know if it's the first time, but this is very much Rasputin could be saying, take the weapons technology that we were given by the Traveler and use it back against the Traveler. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so noetic in this point, noetic is a branch of metaphysical philosophy that deals with the mind and intellect. So this attack by Rasputin against the Traveler isn't just a physical attack, it's attacking what it believes the Traveler's intelligence to also be. This is a brutal, brutal attack, uh, or could be a brutal attack by Rasputin against the Traveler, like metaphysically affecting it and physically affecting it. Uh, for the to try and coerce this sort of like pseudo altruistic defensive action, you know, which is whether that is like the the pulse of light that we've talked about in the past that extended beyond Earth, you know, whether it is the release of the ghost afterwards, like it's just there's a million possibilities here for what we this could have been. Yeah, I think uh, from what we have right now, and I think just the fact that we had the Grimoire writer come out and you know and specify that this was you know a contingency plan, I think you know, for me at least, everything points to it just it that's it being exactly that. Um, you know, it does. Go ahead, Dragon. Uh, I was just gonna say it, it does. It does make it you know somewhat confusing just because. You know, Rasputin basically says, I'm going to make it look like the Traveler stays willingly and that the Traveler helps humanity and saves humanity. And then that's exactly what happened. But yeah. it's there's not really any, again, nothing that we can, I can see that shows that he actually laid out the plan. Yeah. I like to think that, uh, you know, the fact that, that the Traveler's been out there doing this for who knows how long and moving from from system to system and and up until now um we know that there's there's other species kind of chasing it uh wanting it's it's something wanting something from it and the fact that we uh and and I know it was you know it was Rasputin possibly that that made the traveler stay but Rasputin being our creation essentially we we're able to kind of capture if capture the traveler, keep the traveler here. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that that I believe it, but I like to think that 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 us being that powerful to do that says a lot about us as humanity. And and but at the same time, you know, I don't know how much I, I believe that that he acted upon that contingency plan. I'm kind of I'm on the fence. Uh, yeah. Well, it, so on I, that same line, I think maybe in a way Rasputin did keep the traveler here but more because of how powerful Rasputin was 
um, in the in the books of sorrow, you kind of see the traveler leaves in never at the be- never as soon as you know Oryx and the sisters arrive, but always you know, after lots of fighting. Kind of like once there was no escape, then you know the traveler would leave. Um, but so maybe because Rasputinus was so strong, and you know, maybe the traveler knew that Rasputin could not be fully affected by. The darkness, you know, if it was Oryx that was attacking, that he couldn't be taken. And knowing that Rasputin was so capable, that the traveler knew that this was a good place to kind of make that last stand and kind of equip us with the ghosts so that we can continue fighting. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, before I have to get off, um, my my one other evidence that I remembered is Ghost Fragment, the Traveler Two, and this is Dreams of Alpha Lupi. So. Lupi. Um, this isn't necessarily the traveler speaking. I mean, it's hard to say, but it says, This has been such a long chase. This will be the place you will fight, fight and win. But do you really know why you go where you go and where this journey is taking you? And then it kind of goes on and talks about the chase. But the fact that the traveler, it seems like the traveler is reflecting and saying, This is where I'm going to stay and fight, <laughs> seems like. Uh, <laughs> We did it. We made it to the daughters. <laughs> seems seems like the traveler stayed and fought, and not that Rasputin made it. And I'll let you guys continue. And I think that's where I'm going to cut out. <laughs> yeah, right. Thanks, baby. Touch of malice. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, I mean, this is, and this is where it talked about the very beginning. Rasputin is tied into so much. Like, there's so much. We're not even to the collapse yet. And now we have like all these different branching areas where Rasputin is touched upon in the lore. And again, it's unclear here. You know, I love the idea that, yeah, maybe the traveler, you know, we're always told the traveler chose humanity uh, because no, no, it never encountered a species that could wield the light like humans. But hey, maybe the real reason is that, you know, humans had created Rasputin. And the Traveler knew that Rasputin is a viable threat to Oryx in the Hive, uh, like no other beings have ever been. Uh, so maybe that maybe that's why, you know, it was chosen. You know, maybe the all through the Books of Sorrow, the Traveler runs. We know the Traveler left uh, the Elixni, the, the Traveler left all these different races. It always leaves. Uh, and maybe Rasputin was able to discern that. And maybe, you know, Rasputin said, hey, I'm going to. I'll force you to stay and I'll force you to make this stand. Uh, give us everything you got uh, and make it look like this amazing thing. And we know that Rasputin had already calculated the losses in the background. Like the whole reason that these protocols <clears throat> are able to be uh, activated in the first place is because Rasputin has done the math. He knows how many people will die and how many won't. And that yeah, this is a hard civilization kill event and we're going to lose billions to save a million, but that's something that's better than losing it all. Uh, so it's not like, I feel like Rasputin's not making a rash decision here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's crunched the numbers and he knows what he needs to do. Uh, I can't say whether he did or did not. I love the idea that, that Rasputin did this. Uh, and it would certainly explain why afterwards Rasputin sort of goes into hiding and, and backs <laughs> off. Uh, like, right. let the scenario play out. Pe- nobody can ever know that I did this. Like, for humanity to survive, 
uh, humanity needs to think that the traveler, you know, did this amazing thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, they can't, they can't ever know it was me. Yep. So. You know, and then Rasputin, he's the, he's the hero humanity needs, but not the. Yeah. And then even on that line, that, right. that could be the, the big secret that Osiris discovered in the speaker's chambers that got him kicked out. <laughs> you know, yes. Yeah. And that's huge. Like that's, that would completely, completely take away the power of the speaker. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, if we learned that the traveler was going to leave and it was really Rasputin that kept it here, that completely destroys this you know, sort of like grand vision of the traveler is this great savior, which is mm-hmm. what the speaker is always pushing on us. Right. And the, the feeling of safety of the people in the, the last city who are, who took refuge directly under the traveler, thinking it was this place of safety that the whole emotion and feeling in that city is going to change drastically. And it's going to be riots in the streets and the harmony of that the speaker had kind of created is going to be gone. I mean, yeah. you know, what would you do if you found out the speaker was a charlatan? Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> so, all right. It's a great place to end it, I think. And uh just want to say thanks to all of our listeners and to Crucible Radio for taking us in their chat and letting us speak some lore and, and get to know some people. And to all of our fans that have joined us in our chat, our Twitter followers, everyone out there who who has been supporting us. Thanks so much. We're going to keep, uh, keep pounding these out and, and hopefully you continue to enjoy them. And, uh, that's it for this episode. So thanks so much. Yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. Again, we, we never, we didn't even make it to the collapse. There's a lot more to Rasputin. <laughs> yep. Another part one. Hopefully we won't make you wait as long as we did for part two of Book of Sorrows, but, uh, but we'll, yeah. we'll get to the next, we'll get to, get to some more here soon. Yeah. We certainly will. All right. Yeah, thanks, guys. All right, thanks. Good night. Have a good night.